Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yep, we good. We rolling? We're rolling. We recording? 20, 22. 2022. I know, right? We made it, but at the same time, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> We're here. We're here. We're smiling. Here for a good time, hopefully. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how long. Wild World 2021 was another wild one. Yeah. 2022 starting off with, uh, you know, a bit of a wild bang or a whimper or however however <laughs> you look at that. Yeah. You know, we've got a bit of a roller coaster to start the year and... You know, we're here. We're here. We're here. We're Be grateful. Yep. Grateful. Yeah. I thought we could kick things off um, with a little, with some tweets from, some, the, from the Twitter. Yes. That's still happening. Right? You can't, yeah. Twitter. No. Twitter's safe. <laughs> Twitter's safe. Twitter's safe. There's no COVID in the Twitterverse. There's no Twitter. There's COVID metaverse. Get on Web3. Yeah. <laughs> no one's getting sick of Web metaverse. Oh, man. Let's, All right. let's hear it. Talk. Anyways, okay. Ryan Holiday. You guys know Ryan Holiday? Who's Ryan? He's this like stoic philosopher, author, podcaster. Okay. Kind of shares daily stoicism and wisdom and and just some little nuggets to like uh, bring a little bit more intention to your day so he shared his top 10 tweets of 2021 and i thought uh, they could bring some intention into 2022 let's do it okay this is one of them this is number one nine short rules for a better life you got it on your phone too i just pulled it up okay let's go we can we can we can go one for one here okay one wake up early Mm. number two focus on effort not results three Read every day. And number four, strict with yourself, forgiving of others. Number five, seek out challenges. Number six, stay a student. Number seven, cut toxic people out of your life. Mm. Number eight, think about death. Nine, focus on what you can control. What do you think, Dina? Those are good, short little rules that I think would lead to a better life. Yeah. Honestly. When I read that, I was like, I need to print this and like put it somewhere where I see it every day and it just like reminds me. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, I don't know if you ever read The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Like they're such simple truths, but I'm like, if I just remembered all four agreements Mm -hmm. every day, I would live a very happy life. Yeah. That's kind of a January book, isn't it? That's a good January book. Oh, maybe we should put a list of January books out. That's a good idea. Books to start your year with. Kickstart your year with some like, well, if we're going to read every day. Yeah. Gotta, gotta be reading. Okay. Let's make a little list. I like it. Okay. We'll compile a list for the people. My my list is a bit dated, but there there's some goodies in there. But some of those books, like like the Four Agreements, those are books that you can come back to, and yes. you almost maybe not 
every year, but like yes. you kind of want to circle back to those every few years yeah. or so. So simple, so true, but so profound. Yeah. And you can't uh, read it enough. Every time I, I pick it up, we see know, read one of the agreements, I'm like, oh my God, it's so simple and it's so true. Yeah. But sometimes it's so hard to oh. do these simple, true things. That's the thing. Like the the simplest approaches to life yes. are simple. Yes. But they are never easy. Yeah. And we conflate those two things, yes. simplicity and ease, and they are very different. Yeah. Right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like I think one of them is like make no assumptions. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if you never made an assumption? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can try. Yeah. But that's just the thing is like it's effort, right? Yeah. Someone's late. The first thing you do is concern, assumption. Well, what if they're this? What if they, yeah. what if they forgot? What if they, like you jump to all of these things? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's do one more of his tweets. At least one more. Yeah. Uh, okay. You got number three up there. Five stoic oh, yeah. lessons from Seneca. Yes. Tweet number three. Tweet number three from Ryan Holiday. Okay. Let's read it. At Ryan Holiday. If you want to follow him on the IG or mm-hmm. Twitter. Um, okay. Whoops. I lost it. Where'd you go? Ryan Holiday. Okay. Number one, we suffer more in imagination than in reality. Oh, that one hits different currently. <laughs> Number two, associate only with people who improve you. Three, the greatest remedy for anger is delay. I like that one. Number four, value your time more than your possessions. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Five, Death, death is not in the distant future. We are dying every day. Man. It's so good. I love the way that the Stoics like reframe life to be about the things that it should be about mm-hmm. and how it, they just really like that whole, that whole kind of like arm or, or what is the word I'm like not like belief system but that structure of thinking that way of being is so like deeply present and drives you to focus on the things that like really truly matter mm-hmm. right and even the last one death is not in the distant future but in fact we are dying every day just like forces you into the moment to be like don't waste it yes like we only have so much time and none of us know how long that is and then that forces you to value your time more than your possessions that forces you to associate with people who like improve you right or who you can improve the the greatest remedy for anger is delay like when you're when you're looking at wasting your life in anger all the time delay Mm -hmm. that response that reaction right Take a breath. Take a breath. Take a beat. Ask yourself why you're angry. Yeah. And it just opens up the space to like not live in a reactionary place, but to Mm -hmm. take control of your actions. Those were one of his earlier ones. I think it's so important. Okay. Let's do one more because I'm enjoying these. All right. Okay. Number four. Seven stoic don'ts. You know, we like to focus on the do's, but these don'ts can also, you know, no's are as powerful as yeses and don'ts are as powerful as do's. I like that. That's, that's one of your top tweets of the year. <laughs> yeah. 2022. There we, <laughs> there we go. Okay. Number one, don't be overheard complaining, even to yourself. Guilty. Number two, don't talk more than you listen. Number three, 
Don't tie your identity to things you own. This one, these ones are nailing me a little bit. <laughs> number Talk four, to you, Dina. Number four. It just keeps going. Don't compare yourself to others. Five. Don't suffer imagined troubles. Ooh. Number six. Don't judge others. Seven. Don't overindulge in food or drink. Mm. Ooh. Guilty. Yeah. Guilty as charged, Ryan Holiday. Yeah. I like to overindulge some, in my cookies. Yeah. Oh, man. But there's some, like, really... I don't know, helpful reminders or things that you can, you can focus on, pay attention to, to help. Um, if you're an intention setter, like this is where we're what literally as we're recording this for one week into the new year, Mm -hmm. resolutions are afoot, you know, people come into the year with new intentions or new designs. And often it's lofty goals of like the person I'm going to become or the things I'm going to accomplish rather than, Focusing on, for example, your effort. Mm-hmm. I want to do this every day and not necessarily the result of I want to run a marathon or be, you know, this fit or have this much money or have read this many books, but to focus more on just like the effort. Yes. I want to just like show up every day and whatever. I think that's one of the simplest secrets to life, at least for myself. If I've had success in anything, it's because I've been consistent at mm-hmm. it. And I think we don't value consistency enough. Showing up day in, day out. You don't need to be the greatest every single day. But if you show up every day and you're consistent, you know, you work on that free throw every day. You go for that run every day. You Mm -hmm. work on, uh, you know, having a podcast every week or whatever. Like whatever you want your outcome to be, be consistent in pursuing it. Yeah. Because if you're not consistent in that, you're not going to arrive at the outcome. You don't get there by chance. Right. At least most people don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's um, good. Consistency and showing up and doing your best. Yes. Do right? your best. You don't have to You don't have to be the best. Yeah. But do your best. Do your best. Forget the rest. Yeah. P90X. Stay blessed. Is anybody, anybody <laughs> listening? You guys, remember, you guys remember P90X? Tony. Tony. Tony Horton? Tony Horton. Oof. It's like... Uh, At Ripper X. Peloton before Peloton. It's true, man. Those yeah. were... those were. I did P90X for a while. Not the meal plan. Yeah, I, I never I, did the meal plan. I yeah. did it a few times. I, I loved it. But I know people who did the P90X thing and the meal plan. Yes. Oof. Shredded. They got shredded. Yeah. I mean, there you go. He knows what's up. Okay, last unofficial sponsor from the 90s. No, not the 90s, the early 2000s. I know. Look it up. There's DVDs on Marketplace or Craigslist somewhere. Maybe VHSs. I think think it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube? Okay, look it up. P90X. (laughs) X. Purchase it wherever you can purchase it. (laughs) Okay, last one, because this is what kind of what we're talking about. Um, Forget about outcomes. Focus on making a little progress every day. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, just keep showing up. A little more good. Just keep showing up. All right, there we go. <laughs> 2022 coming yeah. at you. Whatever, whatever uh, lies ahead for your year, we just hope that it's um, it's meaningful, it's fulfilling. Even in the challenges, you can find purpose and joy. Yeah, it transcends just mere happiness. So, smile at your neighbors. You know, yeah. smile at the people you're passing by on the street. Right. Let's, let's spread joy and. Hope and happiness. Dude, we do, do our best. Yeah. Okay, who we got today? What's the pod today? It's a good one. We, uh, we got Steven Merkovich. Yes. Steven is a, uh, I say plant-based pastor, pastor, but I might be uh, not uh, correctly uh, labeling his his position in, in uh, 
and what he does in his his faith, mm-hmm. reverend pastor. Yeah, I well, think he's worn a few hats. Depends on. I hope depends I'm not on offending your... like all the Christians out there right nah, now. Their, their their whole thing is forgiveness. I'm told. Okay, few, few. Yeah, forgive me. Yeah, let's see. There you go. You're covered. All right. No, it depends on your tradition, reverend. It depends on your ordination status, yes. which is just all fancy words of saying like kind of your like your your credentials right your church cred your, your church street cred. cred amongst the pew goers no <laughs> so reverend you're ordained which i think he said he is ordained minister yeah, 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 minister. yeah was man of the cloth man of the cloth now he's cringing as he's <laughs> <laughs> but uh that aside Stephen is a um a spiritual leader a faith-based leader and he's uh, a plant-based community leader here in vancouver he he's the um the co-owner uh, of Plant Based Expo uh, yeah. that we just uh, all experienced uh, November in November, End which was November. amazing. He Highlight of twenty twenty one for p- sure. Put together one of the best events that I've ever been a part of. It was so good, so and, much fun, and just like an inspiring guy, lives his life with extreme intention mm-hmm. and extreme kindness. Like he's just he embodies the the notion of doing more good yes in so many ways yes you know there's often a phrase um well a couple of phrases people live like very open-handedly or like you know they have a lot of things or influence or whatever but hold it very loosely i think like steven embodies these two ideas like so much just in the way he's so generous with his time uh resources connections and like invitations right mm-hmm. giving giving space and opportunity for, for us and yes. many others yes. um, to just like have, you know, really great experiences and connections. And so really, really grateful for the opportunity to meet him and to kind yes. of get the chance to become buds along the way, which was awesome. Yeah. I'd say that's probably one of the things I'm most grateful for in 2021 is the new friendship that uh, yes. we formed with Stephen. Cause you, he, he's somebody that we didn't know prior to this last year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he came into our lives and, uh, he's a special guy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He's a very generous person. And, you know, I was really excited from the conversation we had. I, I, you know, I think we'll definitely have Steven on for more conversations. I really was, was lit up just listening to the two of you kind of wax poetic on, (laughs) on your, your spiritual beliefs. You are theologizing. I felt like I was very much the student. And I would like to continue to be that student and we learn from do, both of you. We should do like a IG live like seminary. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do an People IG. be like, what the hell is that? No, I know. I'm a, I know. Uh, that'd be fun. And when I met Stephen, I think we talked we talked about this on the pod. I couldn't believe that there was two plant based pastors in oh, this I room. Know. At first, I thought we were going to have to fight, but then we were like, no, turn the other cheek. Yeah. And we became friends. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad like pastor joke. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Oh my gosh! All right, so yeah, Stephen Murkovich, let's uh, let's let it roll. Yeah, enjoy. All right, everyone, here we are. With our guest. Now, I should have asked you even before this. I'm going to go for it. Steven Merkovich. You got it, man. Yes. That's it. Okay. So you, know, you never know, right? You never know. But I was like, I feel like I got this one. Anyway, Steven is here with us. They were so pumped to have you. We sat down with you a few times over the course of this uh, spring, summer, fall, it feels like. I don't even know. Time is a time is a time not a thing. But we sat down with you in lead up to the Planted Expo, which was incredible. An incredible experience, opportunity, we can all jam on that. But um, the real side, like benefit, was this new friendship that we have with you. Mm. And um, being able to connect with you. And right away, Zach and I were like, we got to have Steven on the pod. Yes. And so here you are. 
It's it good is, to be here. Yeah. It's I'm so one good. of your avid listeners. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Listener becomes guest. Here yeah, we go. I'm ready for Tides it. Tides of trend. Totally. But can can I share my first experience with Steven and then we'll get rolling? We'll rich rolling. Yeah, <laughs> rich rolling. Let's do it. So I get this email from from you about uh, Planted Expo, which I'm obviously already super excited about. You know, a, a vegan expo with all the best vendors and I'm hearing all these speakers that are coming in and, you know, I get this email that you'd like to meet and talk about things that we can do together. And, um, you know, the first thing that the light bulbs that were going off in my head when I first learned that you are, uh, your backgrounds with, with the church and you're vegan. And I've got this relationship with Dean thinking he's the only vegan pastor in the world. <laughs> and I'm like, there's two of Dean's. Yeah. <laughs> there's more of him. He's like, right. And you know, yeah. Dean's obviously this person that I admire and, you know, just cherish in so many ways. And I'm like, there's more of this. There's-. Right. So I was, you know, so excited for you guys to connect and just that there was this like community of like vegan pastors that, um, cause I didn't grow up with church and I didn't grow up, um, with that experience. So I had my own views of, of church and Christianity that, um, have, you know, Dean's helped break down and show me new perspectives, but I was so excited to learn that there's, there's more Deans or more Stevens in the world. That's right. Yeah, the feeling was mutual. He's like, oh man, I've got this guy, my partner in crime for the podcast that you've absolutely got to meet. He's another vegan pastor. And I was like, super cool. Yeah. Yeah. You did not disappoint, Dean. Oh, and likewise. <laughs> yes. So the excitement was obviously very oh, high. Man. And then Stephen dropped, you know, the ritual. Like, yeah. Do you guys want to be a part of a ritual experience? <laughs> I had no idea how much uh, you guys. Uh, were encouraged and had grown as a result of his podcast as well. Like that was the whole reason to bring him in, uh, you know, over the course of my years as a vegan, which is a long time, right? Since 2003. Yes. Uh, you know, you, when you're at it for as long as I've been, you know, you're always looking for the voices that are, you know, taking the movement to sort of that next depth and level. Mm. And I just knew immediately, as soon as I bought the Veg Expo and rebranded it to Planted, like people were like, hey, so what's the move? I'm like, I don't know, but Rich Roll's involved. <laughs> Somehow, yeah. some way we're going to like, I, you know, make beg it and make sure it comes in. And so, uh, yeah, that was super cool. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about it, but yeah. yeah, what a great, great way to get to know each other. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I was just, it was a great, uh, yeah, a great opportunity. And like I say, the, Obviously, the expo itself was a huge success, and the evening with Rich Roll was super cool, and it felt like kind of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but just to know that, like, there's this, you know, lasting connection and friendship that came up, at, like, just kind of out of the blue with it was uh, honestly one of the best, best benefits, so we're, we're very, very grateful for all of, uh, all that you afforded us, and to be able to carry on a friendship and a connection, and who knows where the future will go. It's amazing how simple a bridge we need to friendship, right? It's so true. Yeah. Like just something that kind of connects and builds trust. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, hang on a sec. I, maybe, maybe these people can be friends, you yeah. know, like more than just let's do an event together. Like, yeah, that's an interesting part of it. And frequently we have people in our lives that operate that way, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, oh yeah, in this little silo, like this makes a lot of sense, but 
we may never ever do anything outside of that silo. Right. And then sometimes you do that and that's like the first experience and you're like, oh, I need more of these people or these kinds of people in my life. Yeah. And that's certainly been my experience, you know, just connecting and hearing and wondering and listening to your own pod. Cause I get, I feel like I get to know you. Like, didn't you feel like you knew Rich a little bit? Yes. Like, and then when he showed up, you're like, oh wow. Like you are kind of that dude on your show. Yeah. And I feel like that's sort of true about you guys too. Like when I hear your voices and your questions, I'm like, oh yeah, that's how these guys actually show up in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Secret which is time. cool. Yeah. yeah. It's too hard to pretend to be something else. You got to just be yourself. Some people do it. Uh, that's true. A lot of people do it. It takes too much energy. It's, it's just. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's the millennial in us, right? Where it's just like sort of takes too much energy just to show up in life. So to be real is actually the more efficient way. Right. To kind of show up in the world and say, I need energy for all of the other things in my life. The last thing I need to do is just like put on that veneer and be mm. something different. Yeah. Although I think we all have elements of that to yes. ourselves. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of us are searching for that greater level of like clarity and frankly, just wanting to know ourselves yes. at that level. So yeah. you guys showing up that way, man, it's makes this a safe place to be, right? Like just hopping on a pod and having a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Right off. Let's go. I'm so excited to go in so many directions because you are a multifaceted person that wears many hats and has many interests and passions in life. Um, you know, veganism being one. Um, like, where did that journey start for you? Like, how did you get into onto the vegan path? Well, it's actually connected to some of the other storylines that might end up uh, being a part of our conversation today. I don't know. There you go. You know, um, so interestingly, I, I am Serbo-Croatian, right? So... Growing up uh, largely in a Serbian atmosphere, uh, you know, food is really important. The convening power of food is a really big part of like kind of family experiences and social experiences. And uh, listen, um, a, a Novak Djokovic aside, you know, uh, you know, Serbian culture is not really known for veganism or vegetarianism or anything like that. Um, so that wasn't really in my kind of headspace or experience growing up in the 80s and 90s but uh at around the age of 10 my mom converted to a denomination within christianity so i grew up serbian orthodox and then at the age of 10 my mom became a seventh-day adventist so mm. if you've been a part of the vegan community for any length of time and connected particularly to the medical side and like the health and wellness side of veganism and vegetarianism then you've probably heard of like all these Adventist Health Study 1, Adventist Health Study 2. And the reason is, is that this denomination has a deep, rich history with vegetarianism and veganism. So at the age of 10, my mom converts and like a good 10-year-old kid, I'm a part of that. It becomes part of my world. You know, I go to church every weekend. I end up going to private schools. I end up becoming a pastor within that denomination, which is all maybe part of the story. But uh, as a result, I had exposure to um, plant-based living from a health perspective from about the age of 10 onwards. Mm. So when I made the decision to go vegetarian at 18 and then ultimately vegan in 2003, uh, it, it wasn't so foreign to me. You know, like I knew what tofu was and like <laughs> you've seen things like soy curls. Yeah. Like soy curls have been around in the Adventist world for like 40 years, you yeah. know, like new on the you scene, know, all of the like uh, vegetarian, uh, gluten based, soy based, like faux meat products and cheese products. Like a lot of those were, were born into the world 
before it became a thing, like now where there's like all of these amazing, innovative, small businesses and medium sized businesses and like huge IPOs. And like, it was the Adventist church pumping out all these products. Like you could go to the Adventist like bookstore and like, they would have like a room in the back full of like vegetarian meats. Like they have, they had a company called Loma Linda Foods, right? Worthington Foods. These were companies that you are probably not familiar with in Canada, but if you grew up a Seventh-day Adventist, they had a religious exemption to import this food into Canada without like all the French stuff and labeling because it was part of the religious exemptions. So I was aware of this and familiar with it, even though for the first eight years of my experience in that denomination, you know, I, I was just a kid, grew up, ate like a standard Canadian slash Eastern European diet. Yeah. So um, Hmm. I bring all of that up to say that, you know, I had a bit of a leg up. Like I knew that I could have conversations with a lot of people who had been vegan and vegetarian for a lot of years for religious reasons, largely in health and wellness reasons. But, you know, like obviously a lot has changed since then. That was uh, in the early 2000s, um, you know, and uh, this was pre-YouTube, pre-Facebook, pre-Insta. Like, (laughs) you know, you actually had to read books in order to get the information or like somebody had to hand you a DVD. (laughs) Yeah. Like I had Joel Furman and Neil Barnard DVDs handed to me. That's amazing. (laughs) That's how long this has been a thing in my life, Zach. So so why um, I'm kind of like a... A John Doe of you know religious knowledge. So, right. like, can you kind of explain the the different the, the Adventist kind of philosophy and why vegetarianism or veganism was part of that um, kind of core belief system? Yeah, it's a bit of a uh, an interesting question, and I'll try to keep it as kind of like lay, non theological as possible yes. um, <clears throat> for us average folk out there. Yeah, and listen, not. No, you know, every every Christian denomination, sect, worldview, philosophy has things that they bring to the world that is yeah. like really good and useful. And I think this is actually one of the things that Adventism, like it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's namely that uh, life is an embodied experience. So mm-hmm. this whole sort of duality between spirit good, body bad, which you hear a lot of in various uh, sort of Christian worldviews over the last 2000 years (laughs) as a result of like kind of platonic influences um you know there's been this like dichotomy you know where we have a soul and the soul is the eternal part of us um but that you know the body is just a a vehicle and instead uh, there's this like deep profound understanding that i think starts in like hebraic thought that we are actually um embodied beings that it's in the tangible physical expressions of life Um, that we sense and know and experience God. And so as a result of that, as a result of this non-duality, if you will, there was a a profound interest in health and well-being. Like how do we look after our bodies, which is the temple of God? Mm -hmm. And if our bodies is the temple of God, and this is where we experience God, and this is where meditation happens, and this is where prayer happens and all the rest of it, then the degree to which that is clear and integrated and healthy and not kind of foggy, the better. Like, the more likely you are to hear from God, the more likely you are to be connected to everything. And so, you know, what's the, you know, what pathway led to that level of connection? Well, veganism and vegetarianism is a big part of, you know, health and well-being. Um, and it did, it did have tentacles into like animal welfare. Um, and there were people that kind of understood that angle, even though it wasn't large and loud. Um, And certainly uh, the idea of what Christians would call creation care or Mm. just like looking after the planet, 
you know, the climate change part of it was also there. But I would say those were like, you know, 10% each and then like 80% of it was just like human health. Um, and so that's why, that's why they were mm. connected to it. But, you know, Adventism, by the way, Zach, you know, is, uh, is, a, is a group of within Christianity that actually keeps the Sabbath, like the Jewish okay. Sabbath. Okay. So they go to church on Saturday. Okay. Um, and so this whole idea of resting is another part of this like human health component. And so, yeah, they bring a lot of really good things to the wider Christian community in that sense. And a lot of things that I'll carry with me, even though I don't identify as a Seventh-day Adventist anymore. Yeah. Uh, these are things that were really important to me and, you know, things that I will take from my experience and just take with me on my journey. Like these are good things. Like who doesn't need a day off to really yeah. rest and think and connect with people and the things that matter, you know, so that Sabbath thinking, if you will. And then the veganism, I'm super grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm really glad that I could do it at a time when it isn't as easy as it is today. Like, I look at a, I look around now and I'm like, man, nobody's got any excuse <laughs> not to make the shift now. Oh, it's so easy now. It's crazy. Yeah. You can, whatever you wanted in the conventional diet is available yeah. on a vegan diet now. So yeah. there yeah. really is no excuse. No, no imports required. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Here. Yeah. No religious exemptions needed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's so interesting. Get yeah. Tofu. Yeah. My, my journey into veganism too is like tied to spiritual reasons really right. like that was the that was the tipping point for me like it was zach and i had been having all these conversations and i was a regular at the juice truck because you know healthy eating and wanting to support my guy over here but uh always there but hadn't adopted like plant-based life and i remember i was like sitting there in january and i was doing my master's at the time through uh fresno pacific university and one of the courses I was in was like uh, approaching approaching scripture with like new eyes and new insights. And so the idea was like, try to read it as though you'd never read it before. So put off all of the things you think you know and just really like try to come to it fresh. And I was sitting in, in the juice truck reading and like doing this assignment and was like, oh, it's January, like come, you know, approach with new eyes. So I was like, I'm just going to start at the beginning, start in Genesis. And it was like reading through Genesis, getting to the end of this like creation account, poem, myth, whatever we want to call it, where, you know, God is like speaking the world into being and kind of ordering things and gives creation over to humanity to care for it, right, to rule over it. It's the wording. And we often think that means like take advantage and exploit and like eat the animals. But then I remember reading like so clearly at the end of Gen Genesis 1 where it says like, and God gave all of the animals like, you know, plants to eat for food. And to man, he gave like fruits and trees and every seed bearing plant for food, period. And it wasn't like an animals were never given to eat. They were never given as food. Like it was so interesting. And I was like, wait, what? And I'd like never noticed that before. And mm -hmm. I remember Zach and I had been having lots of conversations about like going plant-based and this and that. I was like, oh man, I think maybe part of the intended design for us was to like abstain from eating these creatures. And like, in fact, we often use that rule over as being like, yeah, we're in control and we can like take and kill and destroy. But like, that's actually not the picture of like ruling over. In fact, it's caring for, right? And that, that this is like baked into the original like design of how things were meant to be. I was like, oh. Boy, we could really go down down a road here, couldn't we? And sure like could. nerd out on some theology. Couldn't... Let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, listen, yes. The, the, the truth is, I think that's abundantly clear when you don't come to it, you know, from a 21st century lens. Uh, you know, I think that, that that 
uh, reading of the text is a really valid one. And and I think when you read the the second poem, right, Genesis two, which is just another version of that, you know, this idea of being a caretaker and a cultivator, a keeper, yeah, you know, comes up really loud and clear as well. And you know, and there's this really kind of a friendly. Uh, every vegan's heart would just stop with like what this story's got a dude that just like has all these animals come by and gets to name them yeah like whatever that story means that's a really fun familial sort of friendly yeah posture towards creatures well, and what's it was the... in fact in fact if you really kind of read between the lines it, it appears as though this earthling and that's actually what the hebrew calls adam yeah. in, in fact it's a play on words adam. in the hebrew yeah, you know, it's Adam and Adama. Yeah. Adama being, you know, ground and Adam being the earthling. Yeah. And so, in fact, there are new translations that don't translate it as Adam. They translate it as earthling. Mm -hmm. So the earthling was like seeing all these animals, Zach, like kind of come through. I don't know if you know this story and gets to name them all. But then it says like the earthling couldn't find a partner. You know, And then we have the story of, you know, patriarchal as it might be or appear, you know, like this uh, spirit god puts the earthling to sleep and pulls out a rib and creates this partner, you know, that is adequate. And, mm. you know, this is the woman, if you will. But and, even that, you know, I gotta yeah. say, I gotta say, because people always read it as like, oh, the woman came. And again, some of yeah. the translations called the woman a helper. Yeah. And it has been misused to be like, yeah, men yeah. are in charge yeah, and no. women are there to help. And I'm always like, pause though. Yeah. If you are in a situation where you need help, and someone comes along and can help you, who who is the power broker in that situation? Yeah. The person who is helping you hmm. is actually the one who has the position of power and authority because if that person does not help you, you're screwed. And so for Adam and people to say, oh yeah, men are in charge and women are the helper because they're like the weaker sex or they came from, I was like, I don't, I don't think that's right. And usually it's because those people are trying to use that yeah. scripture to reinforce some unfortunate higher like patriarchy yeah. right and i'm like i think no think of the last time you were in help or you were in need of help and someone came along and offered you that help you were like oh thank you without you i would have been in so much trouble because i was in a vulnerable position yeah right and so i always like to just yeah i mean how you read a story is really important right and yeah. recognizing that we all bring ourselves to those mm. stories and the story reads us and we read it totally um but interestingly, like on a just again on a nerdy level, that phrase, that word that is uh, that you just referenced, that the woman was the helper, mm -hmm. in the rest of the sort of Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, that phrase, that word is actually used towards God. Mm -hmm. God is the helper. God is the one that comes. And so, whatever that means, like it's obviously valid as a way of referencing even how the divine shows up in the world. Totally. So to me, you know, there is this. Um, really profound egalitarianism that's present in the stories when we allow ourselves to read them that way. And if you put that on and you say, wait, wait, wait a minute, like how, how does like real life sort of line up and what am I learning about the value of human souls and, and all of us as we show up and you know, what, what is gender fluidity and what is all of this like roles and how does this soul show up and how have I experienced life? And then you kind of like allow that to inform your reading of the text you can totally read it in like these really life-giving, flourishing yeah. sorts of ways that I think a lot of people that remain connected to the faith and find value in these stories, call it progressive, call it whatever you will, 
you know, we find ways to, um, you know, allow these things to, to continue to shape and form us in our experience. So yeah. that's certainly where I'm at with it. Totally. Yeah. Well, and even, even back to the, even back to the parts that would like make the vegan heart sore yeah. is like one of the arguments or one of the, maybe not arguments, but, uh, offerings that, that plant-based or vegan advocates will use as for not eating animals. They're like, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't name your, or you wouldn't eat your dog. Cause like you've named it. You wouldn't eat any mm-hmm. animal that you've named. Right. And it's interesting that in this creation account, mm-hmm. uh, the earthling's job is to name yeah. all of the animals. All and so there's this like deep relational connection. Friendship. Yeah. It's friendship. Yeah. And you wouldn't go around like eating them. Right. Cause they're, it's, you that's can, not caring for. That's you not, recognize the sentience. Yeah. Yeah. There's this recognition of a, it's another being. It's a different being. Yeah. It's not your partner being in that sense. You know, you like, it's not your species. You, know, mm-hmm. you can't go and have offspring, but uh, they can be your friends and they can share this planet with us and they can be a part of what we're doing. They're part of the ecosystem, if you will. Right? Yeah. Like that's how it was created to be. Yeah. yeah. So cool. Love it, guys. I'm just sitting here <laughs> listening, learning, soaking it all in. These are these are these are the the core um, Jewish scriptures as well. That's yes. right. Like, yes. Like this is what uh, why we call it the Judeo Christian worldview, yeah. right? Yeah, because yeah. it's it's actually fundamentally founded on and why we uh, in Christian circles frequently find so much help in listening to Jewish voices, mm. you know, and rabbis and kind of thinking about how. Um, the Jewish world has reflected on their scriptures. Let's be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. And the, yeah. the practice of like midrash where you're oh. looking at the multiple truths within yeah. a single scripture. Yeah. And then we have the more, the more predominant Christian, like fundamentalism mm-hmm. that was big in the eighties and nineties and is still, still, you know, kind of rearing its head around. And especially so in this time where people are longing for certainty, we try to find the, the single meaning of the text. But what does this mean yeah. rather than the more Jewish perspective, like what else does this mean? Mm-hmm. Right. And so we would be better served to live that way with, with more openness and curiosity. And, you know, if for, for people who believe that this God, this creative being is who it claims to be, then it's like, it has to be bigger than it has to be bigger than one thing. Otherwise, like you are the master of the thing you claim to be bigger than everything. Yeah, she's so beautiful, right? Yes, yes, she is. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. And if I, I should just ask you guys religious questions for the next uh, hour or so and yeah, share, share my sins and make sure I'm on Santa's uh, good list. And hey, go didn't, absolvo. Didn't make the naughty <laughs> That's list. That's what the Catholic priests say That's right. when you come, you know. Anyways, just jokes. So, <laughs> okay, I do have a lot of like faith-based questions because I'm, I'm fascinated about religion mm-hmm. in general. Um, but just kind of circling back on the Advent, uh, Adventist kind of history, um, there's one, the, the Adventists are like a blue zone as well, aren't they? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Primarily, uh, Southern California, Loma Linda area yeah. where there's a really world famous hospital. Um, and it just happened to be one of the places that, uh, the Adventist denomination proliferated, uh, yes. sort of in the late 1800s <clears throat> through to the early 1900s and they established schools in that Southern California area and so a lot of white North American Seventh-day Adventists uh, went and made that their home okay um, and so 
although the Adventist movement is really a global movement now, and you won't find veganism um, as present in sort of the rest of the world. They're all aware of it. They're all mm -hmm. aware of vegetarianism and sort of healthy living and like this idea of taking rests and pausing and having a rhythm to life. Yes. They don't, in fact, the vast majority don't practice. Like you'd be pretty disappointed. Like if you asked nine out of 10, like if you asked 10 Adventists that you just happen to run across, like, hey, are you an Adventist? You must be vegetarian or vegan. You'd be sadly disappointed. Yeah. Like, even though it's there and it's kind of baked in, a lot of people don't actually take advantage of it. Okay. It's just one of those things. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit sad today. It wasn't always that way, but if you go to Southern California, it is a blue zone. And in that particular uh, you know, physical geographical location, there is a lot of that. Um, and it's the proximity to the hospital. Okay. And blue zones, for those that don't know, it's yeah. like a community or area where the, the average age is, you know, a century and basically like they're yeah. living to a hundred and, um, Dan Butner, who's kind of like, um, come up with this term, kind of found some common, um, ways of living through the blue zones around the world. So like community food, Mm -hmm. faith was often mm -hmm. one of them as well um so yeah if you haven't if you haven't dug into blue zones check it out um i just remember like hearing like a when i was first reading some of dan's books like seeing that the the adventists in california mm -hmm. like were one of the blue zones and i thought that was so interesting mm -hmm. yeah should we go be back into the the pastor's corner should hey. we should we go deep let's let's do uh, you know well, I mean, I'll, I'll just kind of share the experience that I had with Dean, and I think that might be like a kickoff board for, for some further conversation. Like I had, so growing up, my dad was is Jewish and my mom grew up Christian. So I kind of had like a mixed upbringing where, you know, religion was more um, like more of a lesson and a story than like a, um, like a faith in a, in, a, in a sense. Like we kind of there were stories and there were cultural aspects, but uh, I never like took it further than that. And uh, like my grandma was, was Christian and kind of had some negative experiences with, with her in the church. And I shared those with Dean and I had like these projections and, and as I got to know Dean, I kind of learned that, you know, Jesus was this kind of rebel that kind of represented the other represented the outcast. And my perception of Christianity, like, you know, drastically changed because of Dean like understanding that the rebel the re the rebellious nature this kind of like punk rock Jesus in a, in a sense and that kind of drew me into more of the core values of just learning about you know Christianity and I think a lot of the public um perception like we kind of hear hear some of the negative stories you know like we hear about what's happened with the residential schools mm -hmm. or we hear what's happened with some you know of the catholic schools in the states with uh you know bad leadership that have done terrible things to young people and those kind of make the headlines and it kind of smears like this beautiful story and thanks to Dean, I've kind of been able to like move that aside to understand like the beauty and the love and the rebellion that's kind of at the core nature of it. And um, when I met you, I also saw that that rebel, that kind of Dean, uh, that Dean represented in a way that was Christ-like, you know. So I kind of want to ask you the same, like how how has um, your faith kind of been a rebellion and what has that taught you? Yeah, I think my first instincts here, um, and I've heard you use that word in the podcast before because I, 
remember I'm one of the avid, avid listeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I find that an interesting word, rebellion. Um, and I think it's a valid word. I think it's a valid experience. And it's certainly been a part of my experience. Like there are moments. Um, and I think if you, if you ask my previous denomination and my previous churches and friends that were, you know, they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, Steve, Steve definitely represented sort of the, uh, you know, one of the edges of, yes. of my experience there in my leadership. Um, and yet I have a discomfort around the word rebellion. Yes. Do you see Jesus as a rebel? Yeah. So th- yes, yes and no, in the sense that sometimes rebellion, and again, it's it's down to nuance. It's down to what element of rebellion and for what reason mm-hmm. is the rebellion happening yes. that you kind of... Um, would use that word or, or wouldn't use mm. that word. Yes. And so there are elements of my leadership and or my faith life that would certainly be uh, characterized by many as rebellious. Yes. Right. I mean, probably uh, the most classic example is the one that actually led to me being fired and moving on from that denomination. Right. Can uh, you share that? Yeah, of course I can. Yeah. No, this is certainly um, something that I talk about. Not, not, super publicly very often, but I've definitely shared it. So I'm comfortable doing that. Um, Really, it it begins with um, a friend of mine who, uh, so at at the genesis of Facebook, okay, (laughs) I I had moved away from the lower mainland and where kind of my faith um, was born. And I had a lot of people that I went to church with growing up. <clears throat> and Facebook was this opportunity to reconnect, right? Like, oh man, I'd been away. I moved to the States and I was uh, pastoring in the States. And I was young, like I'm, we're like early 20s here, maybe mid 20s by the time Facebook rolled around, I guess, if I'm, yeah, whatever, 24, 25 years old kind of thing. And uh, I befriended um, an individual that I'd grown up with going to a local church here in uh, Westminster. Um, and it was obvious to me that this person was no longer showing up in the world um, in a way that would have been accepted by that denomination at that time. Mm. Um, And then you didn't have to go through too many photos to recognize that that the individual was gay, Um, which was cool, but also very disorienting for me. But as I sat there and I thought about it, I'm like, of course, (laughs) of course he was like, you know, by that point, I had, uh, um, you know, become aware of what, you know, the LGBT community stood for, even though I didn't understand it. And I didn't actually have a close friend that identified. And so this was like my opportunity. And I messaged them and I said, hey, the next time by that point, he'd moved to Toronto. I was in the States and I was like, I don't know if you will ever like meet up. And I didn't know that I'd be moving back to Canada or moving back to Vancouver. And I said, I don't know if you ever plan on going back, but I'd love to have a conversation with you about what life has been like. Turns out we had that opportunity somewhere in the summer of 2007. <clears throat> I was back visiting and we sat down for coffee and we were talking and chatting and, uh, I guess I was just safe enough for him to share his story with me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Steve, when, when we were going to Sabbath school, <laughs> not Sunday school, when we were going to Sabbath school, this kid's growing up, he's like, did you ever have to pray to like girls? Mm. And I said, no, what, what do you mean? 
And I said, I, I think the opposite. I said, by the time I was a teenager, I'm pretty sure I was praying not to like them so much. You know? <laughs> like I was pretty much praying like, uh, how do I, how do I navigate, you know, my sexuality in other ways? Mm-hmm. Not so much, you know, was I straight or not, you know? And, but it was like this on-ramp, this like empathic on-ramp into his experience. And he's like, I used to sit there, Steve, and pray to like girls. And I remember this individual um, dating and, uh, you know, having girlfriends and all the rest of it, you know, certainly, quote unquote, trying to be straight. Yeah. Um, but as it turns out, you know, had to move away from the lower mainland to really sort of figure out who he was and how he was going to show up in the world. And, uh, you know, the conversation went on for a, quite a while, but like, that was just the showstopper for me. That was the, that was the, the moment, like it's a pivotal moment. You know, sometimes you kind of ease your way into a new way of seeing the world. And then other times there's like this punctiliar moment when you're, when life is interrupted and you hear a story and it's a game changing story. And so this is an individual that I grew up with, that I loved and trusted and was giving me a gift to reconsider things or to think about things. And I was never like, I was never part of the church and never expressed, like I I never preached a sermon that was against homosexuality or being gay or anything Mm -hmm. like that ever in my life. Like that just wasn't a thing for me. Uh, Call me millennial, call me whatever. Like it just, that's not what I was thinking about. That's not what animated my spirituality. But what this ended up doing was actually showing me that I had a shallow understanding of the human experience Mm. and that I had a faith that was inadequate in order to really kind of sense, well, how would my, how would my faith, how would my belief, how would my Christianity be good, good news to this individual? Um, and I didn't have good answers. Mm. I, I didn't have a framework to really sort of go deep. And so thus began my journey. <laughs> you know, so we're talking 2007. And it wasn't until 2017, a decade later, that uh, it all kind of came to fruition. Um, over the course of that 10 years, I, I befriended lots of people and uh, eventually found my way to a local church here in the Vancouver region that was the most affirming congregation you could imagine within that denomination, although it had to sort of secretly be affirming. It couldn't openly put up a rainbow flag and say, you know, we're the safe church um, for gay Seventh-day Adventists. But that's what it was. And I was very proud and happy to be able to be there and be part of this clandestine rebellion, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like this behind the scenes, like, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If you're gay and you need a safe place to worship, like we're the church. And uh, I had this opportunity for the rubber meets the road. Um, I got a call from an individual who was graduating from an Adventist undergraduate kind of Bible college theology program, you know, which is a, kind of the training school for people that are going to become ministers and pastors in the denomination. And they said, hey, listen, I, from what I gather and understand, because, you know, when you're part of the LGBT community, you sort of know the safe places, particularly when you're in a worldview or a religion or denomination that is not really openly affirming or safe or educated on these things, you know, the word gets out as to where you could potentially go and be safe. And so they called up and they said, I understand. And I actually had ended up having a relationship with this person from before 
like I remember them growing up as a kid mm. and they said, I'm the first openly gay kind of like undergraduate theology student. You know, they had started an LGBT like unofficial college group at that. And it was my alma mater. Like I went and did my undergraduate in theology there as well and said like, I'd like an internship. I'd like a place to go and be a minister for a summer or whatever. And it was an immediate yes. Like I didn't even have to think because I knew what the board would say. I knew I knew what that local uh, expression of Christianity and faith, you know, that I had a part in leading um, was all about. And so I said yes, but that's not a yes that came from the denomination, certainly not from the local denominational um, hierarchy, if you will. And within hours of announcing um, that, uh, we'd hired him as a summer intern. I got a phone call from my denominational leaders saying, you've got to take that post down. You've got to take that website post down and you need to reconsider this. And I said, reconsider what? Like, do you know who you're talking to? Like, this is Steve Merkovich, the rebel. <laughs> like, so this is where like, I wear that mantle a little bit and I'm like, oh yeah, that, that, that kind of does fit. But mm. I wasn't rebelling in that classic like, fuck the system yeah like that's not who i was like i was actually a loyal foot soldier mm -hmm. who really believed that like we were all in this to really experience life at its fullest mm -hmm. and like like we're all on the good news page right like we've got to find a way to make this religion thing good news for everybody not just for the insiders right like for those that don't seem to quite f find a way to fit in like it's got to be good news for them too yeah and so I was, I've always had a little bit of this naivety, but it's sort of a chosen naivety. It's not because I don't know that that could potentially put my job on the line. I knew that, like, I'm not an idiot. Like, it's not that level of naivety, but it's the sort of like, I'm gonna lead with my heart and if it costs me everything, so be it. And at times I chose <clears throat> what some would say, well, you, you know, you just need to be a little bit more wise like a serpent. Like there's this saying in Christian circles, you know, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. And I didn't always know how to play that game. I didn't want to play that game. Yeah. You know, I just, I, uh, sometimes I wish I do. And sometimes I wish I, I even do that in business. Like maybe I can learn that a little bit, <laughs> but I'm just sort of like how I showed up with the ritual thing. Like, I'm like, Hey, we're in this, like, we yeah. all want this to succeed. Like, I think you guys can have a great conversation with this dude. Like, not because I don't think I can have a conversation, but I just think you're better suited for it. So like, Hey, let's share the wealth, so, so to speak. And like, mm -hmm. let's all be in this. And that's how I showed up with this thing. Like I knew that the local church was in it. And so anyways, I could go on, I could tell this story like in a really long way, but the bottom line is I refused to renege. I didn't, I protected, I like, I did whatever it took to make sure that this was a safe environment. And uh, it ended up costing me my job because the local church in this denomination doesn't hire the senior pastor leader that, that's the denomination that does that. And so, um, yeah, so some would say, well, what about religious rights, et cetera, you know, the truth is employment law in British Columbia allows you to, as long as you um, kind of dismiss without cause and provide a fair severance. And that's really, you can, that's the only thing you can argue is, is it a fair severance? Yeah. So had they said, hey, we're firing you because of this, but it wasn't, and they're very smart. They mm -hmm. don't put any of that in writing. That's all behind closed the doors, off the record. And it's like, you know, like, cell phone calls like how do you prove that like mm -hmm. yeah you know so when i got my dismissal papers that was it like it, you know i just got called into the head office and like 
you know, effective immediately, you are no longer a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, give us your keys, you know, here's your, the dismissal papers, severance package, you know, we invite you to have a lawyer to look over this. Why am I being fired? We can't talk about that. What do you mean? Like, I thought we were on the same page. Like, you've never, I've never felt my heart beat so loudly in my own ears and in my own chest like I did that day. Like, mm. just the ultimate betrayal, mm -hmm. right? Because mm. I don't hide stuff, right? Like, I could have done that whole, like, more clandestine thing. But I was just like, no, this is, that's not really what it means to be affirming. Like, yeah eventually you've got to just kind of come out of the closet that you're affirming like this is who you are and uh and so that was my opportunity to do that um mm. frankly it was 10 years in the making mm -hmm. like on a lot of things like yeah, yeah. this wasn't the only area that i didn't line up with my denomination yeah mm -hmm. yeah so but i think it's interesting because like you might not you downplay like kind of the it wasn't it wasn't like the rebellion for rebellion's sake but those are the like that's the truest, I think that's the truest kind of rebellion when it's like you, you are leading with your heart and doing what you, you know, know to be true and genuine. And in some ways, like the best representation of what we could call the work of Christ, which is like reconciliation and bringing the outsider in and all of these kind of languages that, you know, the, the more traditional churches would agree with. But when you start to do it, there's that pushback. And so rebelling and being like, oh, well, like, fuck you. I'm just gonna do what I want anyway is cheaper than leading with your heart and like really putting yourself out there to the point of l losing something. Like it costs you something. And so to me, I'm like, no, that is the truest. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're raging against the machine, but not just for the sake of it, but mm -hmm. to actually like bring change and to stand up for what the thing should have been all along right it's like you're you're it's a rebellion against what it has become yeah and for me it like the way i sort of sift through it and try to figure out when <clears throat> when that's required is like when it's not a a preference mm -hmm. you know like a lot of times people go down this like i'm going to rebel but you really you're re rebelling around a preferential issue you know and it's not really like a core justice issue or a core value or yes. like a human rights issue or um like the, the truth of the matter is like Christianity and churches and in other religions, and I probably should just speak for the one that I belong to, but you know, like it has not been a safe place. Mm -mm, you mm -hmm. know, if, if you don't identify in the kind of classic paradigms that people have come to sort of uh, assume is the posture that all of Christianity strikes or whatever, um, you know, it, it wasn't a safe place. So for me, it was like, these were now core ways that I viewed myself and that, frankly, I viewed God, right? I viewed the divine power in this world, that, that transcendent thing that I was trying to connect with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and that's the interesting thing. So much theology is actually autobiographical. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. like our theology reflect, reflects our own stories and the things that we're wrestling with. And it's like, where are those places where I am an outsider mm -hmm. and need to be drawn in and need to have those safe places? Yeah. You know, like, how do you create that safe place to both be generous and generate, you know, a better, uh, more kind and loving, non-judgmental environment? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And we could go down a million religious <laughs> cliches. <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah, yeah. It, sometimes it's like these no brainers and like duh moments and, and 
I'm sure the outside non-Christian world that has some familiarity with, with, with Christian cliches would be like, oh man, these guys, they just don't get it. These girls, you know, they don't get it. You know, like there's a, a really famous saying in one of the gospels, you know, do it unto the least of these and you've done it unto me. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like this idea of uh, those people, again, that, you know, may not connect with the, the, the dominant narrative, you know, they need a place. Uh, and yet we can't, we don't always know how to navigate that and, and realize like, well, you know, what is that? How does that relevantly express itself today? Mm. And, mm. and that's the living nature of these narratives is that as the world goes on and as the stories that we weave change and transform and society changes, uh, so too does the relevance of these things, you know? So they may not have expressed themselves that way, you know, 1700 years ago or whatever, but that's besides the point. Like, that's mm-hmm. like a good novel. Like, why do the classics remain the classics? Because they find a way to continue to speak to <coughs> the human experience, even though the human experience has shifted and changed since the time of writing. Yeah. Yeah. Transcends yeah. the culture of the day. As does God. Yeah, of course. Whatever that spiritual thing that we're trying so desperately to be a part of and yeah. want, because we we recognize there's something more to this whole thing that we call life. Mm-hmm. What, what is your view of God? What is your explanation of God or your experience? Yeah, so I'm very relational in my understanding. And everything in life appears to be um, in relationship. And yet there are these things that seem to connect us uh, that don't seem to be explained by uh, simply what we can see. And I know the classic kind of materialist argument is that, well, we just haven't encountered that. Like we haven't understood it from the material perspective, but if we could, then, well, there'd be no need for transcendence. You know, there'd be no need for these unforeseen things. Um, and that may be the case. Maybe one day I'll wake up 70 years from now, you know, as, materialism and science and and our ability to measure the world you know continues to explain things to us and maybe one day you know i'll have a a reasonable grasp of of quantum theory and be like oh yeah so all those things that i thought were god were you know like it's all baked in somehow now we may not understand how that all works but i guess where i'm coming from today is i think there are enough of those things in my experience in the stories and in my own interactions with the world that um, beg the question of like, well, oh, hang on a sec. Why do I feel that way? Like, are my feelings towards my daughter? I've got a two and a half year old daughter. I'm a father of three. Uh, there's my pod shout out to my kids. Like, there you go. like the most transformative relationships in my life are these closest beings to me. And, and being a dad has been really formative. And so either <laughs> my experience of love and connection with them and these like transcendent moments where we just look into each other's eyes and we know that there's this deep profound connection that's more than biological like what is that Mm. like what is that moment and you know how do i make sense of that and and i think humankind has sought for a way to make sense of that and we do that through stories and uh and we recognize that the, the world we live in is rather miraculous for all that science has been able to explain, it remains a rather miraculous and inexplicable place mm. and experience that we all have. And so, <clears throat> you know, call it goodness, call it justice, um, call it, you know, the divine presence, call it the God within you and the God within me. 
Whatever that is, that is what I'm seeking in my, uh, my religiosity, if you will. And I use religiosity there, then I'm going to reclaim that word. You know, like how, again, we were just talking about the LGBT community and I've learned so much from them um, as I continue to form friendships there. And like, for example, uh, many of my friends within that community have reclaimed the word queer. Mm-hmm. And there was a time where, you know, queer was like growing up, like, it was pejorative for me, mm-hmm. you know, like we certainly didn't use that in a positive sense, but the community has recognized like, no, part of like regaining our agency and power in the world is reclaiming words that actually still have some explanatory scope. So for me, the word religion has some explanatory scope that I think is worth reclaiming. So rather than saying I'm, you know, I'm spiritual, but not religious, I kind of like, I'm spiritual and neo-religious or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I still think there's some value there. So for me and my religious expression, it's this attempt to reconnect myself fully to my body, to this world, to this planet, and to relationally reconnect with all of the things that I can have relationships with. And I happen to believe that there is a divine presence in this world that I can have a relationship with, like an actual relationship, a give and take relationship, if you will. Kind of karmic? but not really karmic in, in the worst sense. Again, like I'm, I'm a super optimist. Like you'll see just the, Steve is always making the, the positive turn. Like I'm always making the positive turn on any word or experience. I'm like, well, hang on. Like, but, but what was the best expression of that? I hate when we define people and things and institutions by the worst examples. Like, would you want to be defined by your worst day as a dad? Definitely not. <laughs> or, by, or by the, the you know, no, or the worst day as a, as a, as a husband or as a partner, or as a business owner, like, no, none of us want to be defined by the worst of what that word represents, Mm -hmm. or that institution represents. And so too, I refuse to define any one religion or any one movement by the worst of, of what that is. But rather, if I had the best example of that in front of me, and I allowed them to speak for themselves, and I gave their voice agency, well, how would they explain why they are what they are? Mm -hmm. And take that at face value and say, yeah, yeah, I can get on board with that. And so that's kind of me. That's kind of me in a nutshell. My religion is in an attempt to represent the best of what it means to reconnect with the divine. Mm, I love that. So rituals, practices, stories, you know, thoughtful reflections. I think all of that leads to depth. I think mm. all of that leads to kinder, more generous postures in life. Like when you ser- seriously listen to a story, whatever that story is, and like just, what is that? Like, oh, that's a, that's like, that's a story that your community finds, you know, so much value and meaning in. Like I had this experience, I, I did this course on like um, uh, indigenous spirituality. Mm. So speaking, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, uh, residential schools and uh, the really dark chapter in Christian history, you know, here in North America. <clears throat> and that's a thing and we need to own it, like, and apologize and make reparations and, and find a positive way towards reconciliation. And I think part of that is being able to sit and say, well, what part of that story did we miss? <laughs> like, what if we had arrived on these shores, so to speak, and rather than um, labeled things as, in the way that they were labeled and you just need to go back in history and I, I don't I'm not gonna like use some of the language that various Christian missionaries or people that arrived you know pioneers settlers 
used to describe uh, the people groups that they ran into. But what if they had found an actual generous, like kind, curious posture and said, oh, tell me more about how you interact. Like maybe we wouldn't be in the climate crisis we're in today. Oh man, yeah. You know, we've talked about that when, we, when we've when been running through like Pacific Spirit Park or whatever, like it all used to be like this. And like, imagine if we listened to the wisdom yeah. of the keepers of the land here. Like what, what might this place look like? And what might that mean for our whole world if we yeah. did that? Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, uh, that that's kind of where my faith is today, Zach. Mm-hmm. I still identify as an individual who is seeking for meaning in all of the ways. And I, and I find that uh, some of these spiritual disciplines, you know, of quieting my soul and spending time in prayer and meditation. Prayer is just another word for meditation, let's mm-hmm. be honest, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, there's formulaic ways that you can do it and non-formulaic ways. And just like there are many schools of thought when it comes to meditation and you know like there's lots of different yogic practices out there and um and i think religion has some of these things like these are deeply wise traditions and um and i have sought i have sought the voices within christianity you know the mystic voices and the open voices that when you read them you're like oh this person spent time (laughs) with lots of different people from lots of different walks of life Mm -hmm. and guess what they encountered god there Mm -hmm. even if that person didn't identify or wasn't a part of their tribe they (laughs) saw god there Mm -hmm. yeah and so i'm realizing that i see god in so many places and people and spaces now and i'm like yeah that's what i want i'm seeking to reconnect with that yeah and even going back to like the the stories like the from from the hebrew tradition the hebrew bible and you know the the christian bible as well but like how right baked in to the stories that form the faith are these constant narratives of like the person who is the outside non-conformist not from the group that like makes the inroads and does something transformative right like there's the story of ruth who was this outsider, Moabite woman. And there's all of these, you know, restrictions against having relations with these outside people, this different group of people. And yet through this woman who is an outsider being brought in and kind of having this miraculous, you know, encounter with her, a man who, who loves her, right? Like now it's like she becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. And it's insane. Like this, this line, this whole faith that is like exclusionary at times in some of its worst moments, exclusionary to people who are outsiders literally exists because someone who was an outsider was allowed in. And I'm like, Hey, it's so ironic that we like miss that. Right. But that's okay. That means there's work to be done. Mm. See, yeah. when you talked about like your practices and I know when we were at the Planted Expo, I was chatting with your wife, wife Heather, who's just lovely as well and is involved in, in ministry work in the church as well. But uh, you guys shared a little bit about like your Sunday morning kind of practice. And I thought that was so cool to hear, like just the way that you involve like embodiment, like movement and and being together. Like it was kind of a, a, an off weekend in terms of regular rhythms because of you guys being so busy with the, with the Planted Expo. But I thought it was just so cool to hear how you shared about that. And then we started talking about something that you're kind of like cooking up here uh, in the yeah in the future. Can you talk about 
this sort of new expression or attempt or experimentation with like what might it look like yeah. to kind of do church in a, in a non-traditional way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for noticing that and remembering that, that little encounter there. Thanks Dean. That's good. So one, I want to shout out my wife who's just like uh, incredible came into my, my life in a really interesting season where I was reconsidering everything. And I think had it not been for the safe kind of space that she was able to kind of allow me to kind of re-encounter religion and re-encounter God and faith groups and denominations that were far more, like far further down the sort of open trajectory of what faith can be. And, you know, my wife is a minister in the United Church of Canada, which is this great local kind of ubiquitous denomination here in Canada, which I only knew a little bit about despite its ubiquity <laughs> and realized that there was like a lot of room there and a lot of like space to really be able to explore God and, and ask challenging questions that are outside of the maybe classic orthodox um, formulations of Christianity. Not, not because it's totally outside the box. Although if you talk to some Christians, they're like, oh yeah, the United Church of Canada, they're not even Christian. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, in, in my estimation. Those are the churches that I want to go to. Yeah, in my estimation, like a great space. And so anyways, we fell in love and that was part of my ability to stay reconnected to this you know, profoundly important season of my life and to find a new expression of it. And so that's a little bit what Dean's referencing here. Um, you know, in that liminal state of transition and trying to decide what was next for me, like I'd spent most of my adult life to that point working in nonprofit church environments. Um, and I thought of transitioning, um, but I've always had this fascination around food. So this is where the vegan, kind of like my origin story of growing up Eastern European and like huge spreads of food and people convening and kind of just recognizing like, if you feed them, they will come, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and good, meaningful conversation happens around food and drink. Always. Like, like even here, you know, we started this conversation and it's a good one, but there was some, some, some drink to share something, you know, and you, you went around and put your like adaptogenic mushroom concoction <laughs> right. in our water, you know, or cordyceps. Rainbow. And, Got some cordyceps. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> there's just this, this profound thing that can happen. And at the center of, of, of the Christian faith is this table, you know, this shared experience that Jesus has with his disciples at the end of his life, you know, hours before his crucifixion. And they sit down and they have this really meaningful encounter with each other and with the divine. Um, and they do it around shared food. And so I've always been fascinated by the convening power of food. And that has intersected with uh, my veganism and my growing awareness of food justice issues in this world. Mm. So from like soil to plate, uh, both the agricultural as well as the human uh, and all of it's sort of like w where they all overlap. Like I think in Venn diagrams, Zach, Dean, like I don't know how useful you find Venn diagrams, but I anytime I could pull out a Venn diagram, it's like I just start writing words in bubbles and I'm like, how do these bubbles all somehow overlap and intersect? And uh, I realized that my faith and my veganism and my growing understanding of the justice components um, you know, were sort of intersecting. And I was like, oh, I wonder how I could live into this passion of mine. So I thought, well, maybe um, I like cooking. Like I'm an amateur chef, baker kind of dude. I've seen, I've seen your Instagram. It looks yeah. pretty tasty. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't post on Instagram very much, but 
<clears throat> I thought if I'm going to stay involved in kind of like organized faith, organi organized religion, I won't be afraid of the of, of the the moniker. Um, I'm going to have to find a way that actually I think creates that environment of deep, you know, relational connection. And I said, how do I take like my desire for hospitality and uh, the fact that I want to be involved in food and kind of like cook and make stuff for people and just kind of like, I love that experience of making something and then watching somebody consume it. And like, what I just made was in my hands, like hours ago is now in your belly. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's in you and it made you happy. And it was a conduit for conversation, mm -hmm. like meaningful connection. And I know you guys dabble in that too, right? Like you guys like setting the table and at that set table uh, have real deep connection. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've, I've got this project that, uh, the code name for a while was the poor and needy cafe because I'm fascinated with coffee and bread, but spelled P O U R mm. like pour over coffees, yeah. you know, the third wave coffee culture, you know, yes, you, yes. you don't just, uh, you know, none of these coffee pods, none of this Keurig stuff. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, know, I like, don't have one. Yeah. Yeah. Have one. I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> looking for one here. I've, in gone, the I've gone to decaf, but I still use my, I still use my proper machine. Yeah. To do there it, you know? go. Um, <laughs> the ritual is important. so, you know, understanding that coffee is this like accessible way to think about the justice issues, mm -hmm. but it's also like, th think about the phrase when people are like looking for a way to connect, like let's grab a coffee together. Right. Yes. So this was like tucked away in my head. I'm like, I frequently, my first encounters with somebody's like, uh, uh, we should set up a time to have coffee. Yes. Right? Like you say, that's how we right? connected for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's just connect and, and have a coffee together. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but then, you know, sort of that next stage is like, oh, maybe we'll grab a bite to eat. Mm -hmm. You don't normally lead with that. Hey, let's grab a bite to eat. Like sometimes if you kind of feel that connection or it's the second or third encounter, like maybe you'll share food together. Yeah. And so this, this idea that there's a bit of a trajectory there and this connection. And I said, and frankly, it's connected to the key Christian ritual, right? We call it communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, whatever. Um, you know, this sharing of bread and wine. Breaking bread. Breaking bread together. And I said, ah, oh, like this Eureka Venn diagram moment, you know, like <laughs> struck me like we can have Christian community or just community, frankly, because I think that can be a barrier for some. Like, oh, is that is that dinner thing that Steve's going to put on like just for Christians? Maybe, I don't know. Like I, I'm hoping it's a generative space for everybody, but mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know to what degree it will be. So there's this whole movement within in the wider kind of Christian world of dinner churches or food churches um, where the, the core um, worshiping expression happens around a meal. Mm -hmm. So I wanna explore that. It's kind of been coming together. COVID got in the way <laughs> um, and having a kid, I've got a two and a half year old. So this was all um, sort of like, it's Genesis, again, been years in the making, but I applied uh, in the, the denomination that I now belong to. I'm actually a reverend. <laughs> I'm hey, Reverend Stephen Merkovich. I'm ordained in the United Church of Canada now. That's not, a, it's not exactly a title I'm always super comfortable <laughs> with, but like whatevs, it's the group I belong to now yeah. and that's how they roll. What's up, Reverend? Um, I applied for a grant and they said, this is great. Yeah, this kind of a fresh expression. Like, let's figure it out. So it's actually going to be tied to like, I think a physical cafe as well. Oh, so I'm cool. a little scared of that. Like Zach, I might need some coaching on how to, I got you, how to do Don't the worry. food business Don't side worry. of it. Um, we can help you out. But, uh, I think you're going to be fine. You've, uh, you've created a lot of uh, connections yeah, in, the, in the vegan yeah. world, maybe hundreds or thousands of them through the expo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, it's just going to be this space where people can connect, 
um, at whatever part of that they want to connect. Mm -hmm. So like maybe it's just good food mm -hmm. and like just the cooking, health, justice side of it. Maybe it's the convening kind of like social power mm -hmm. of food and that ability to build community somewhere safe. Yes. Or maybe it's even that spiritual wing of mm -hmm. like, I'm actually craving for a deeper connection to the earth or to my neighbors or to the divine and how and where do I find a safe place to talk about that? Because these are, you know, frequently politics and religion are like the two things you mm -hmm. don't talk about at these tables. Mm -hmm. Like, let's keep it light because yeah. that's easier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what if, what if we actually set a table where sometimes we went down those roads that were like the more challenging conversations. Mm -hmm. So but, that's what it is. It's not, and, and it's no longer called poor and needy because I got enough feedback that said, mm, unless you read it's it. It's a smart name though. It's smart. Yeah, I, yeah. I love a needy good bread, right? Poor yes. over coffee, needy bread. We I figured it out. Yeah. 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 Now it's called feast and fallow. I love it. Ooh, that's yeah. kind of the next code name, working name. Like um, and again, that's about the rhythms. You know, we're, we're learning that like you, you, we're, you guys, I'm sure are having the conversations. I know you are. Cause I listened to the cast. Um, you know, around regenerative agriculture mm -hmm. and like recognizing that there are rhythms, you know, and we can't just demand from the land constant production. We can't demand from people that are in the agricultural world constant production. Like mm -hmm. there's a rhythm to producing food and eating food. There mm -hmm. are times for feast and there are times for fast yeah. or a lot, letting things lie fallow yeah. and not just demanding. In fact, uh, we can tie this all into the spiritual thing let's as well. Do it. Like, let's do it. You know, in the book of Leviticus, yep. you know, there's this clear expectation that, you know, you're going to let the land rest. Mm -hmm. And we know that. We know that like our ability to, like as a business owner, if you just go, 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 you might be productive for a season. But in the end, that productivity just comes crashing. You know, we call it burnout. We call it a lot of different things. We can't just demand. We can't just believe that the earth will forever be able to continue to produce you know things that keep us alive our sustenance we've got to figure out a way to interact with the earth and each other as businesses and recognize when is that season to feast and when is that season to lie fallow mm -hmm. so that's what it is right like just owning the values right in the name i love right it. like again just kind of classic steve Merkovich. like how do i put this out so like, you know, I think it's kind of a hip, cool name too. Like if you never thought about those words, you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to Feast and Fallow for brunch on Saturday or whatever. Like it kind of works. But then if you like find yourself a part of a community, you're like, oh, like, there's that, that, there's yeah. that, that name is intentional. Yes. <laughs> like they're trying to live that out in some way. So, you know, goals around like fair living wages. Mm -hmm. you know, like I have a lot of friends that work in the restaurant or coffee biz and they're just like... It's kind of hard to make it in Vancouver, you know, based on what most people are paying. And like, so what would that look like mm -hmm. to try to find a way to do that? I don't know. Anyway, so that's going to hopefully come to fruition here in 2022. I love um, it. It's been years in the making. So uh, kind of like a slow simmer there in the background a bit. Um, but yeah, I'm making space for it in my life. I'm saying no to the things so that I can say yes to more. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. I kind think it's fun. it's like the central value is like the table, yeah, right? It's and the table. To bring people to that with with no agenda other than just present good food and a chance to connect is like one of the most beautiful and sacred opportunities we have to curate and to host mm -hmm. and like. Yeah. And I Dean, Dean, I think you can handle this correction because I, it's not really it's a it's just a, it's me sort of owning the fact that there's always an agenda. Mm. 
but I think that there can be generative agendas. Oh yeah, yeah right. Yeah, like there's a way sure. for you to sort of say like, it's not as back to this whole clandestine or rebellion. Like this is like an honest agenda. This is like yes, I'm faithful in the fact that I'm religious and like I I'm still searching for God and like mm. don't like this is sponsored by a denomination. Like the grant is coming from a denomination, <laughs> yeah. but it's also going to be plant based and vegan. And it's going to be safe and it's not going to push religion, but it's going to kind of just create a space to talk about, again, reclaiming the best of what yeah. any of these faith traditions can mm -hmm. bring to the table and allowing all of the voices fair game at the table mm -hmm. and not saying like, oh, no, you're, you're not a Christian. No, your voice is not welcome. Mm -hmm. Well, I think food is inherently spiritual and yeah. inherently cultural. Like if... You know, I think that's where we welcome people into into faith and into cultures through through meals and through that shared experience. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I think about my Jewish side, the first thoughts I have are the meals that I've mm -hmm. I've had. And if I think about the Christian side, I go there too. And if I think about new cultures that I experienced through travel, um, where I was welcomed and and fortunate enough to be, you know, educated uh, in different cultural viewpoints it was usually over a meal you know so it's like this amazing conduit for conversation and spirituality and and you know if we break things down to where they came from coming from this earth you know the earth being created by mm -hmm. by god like it's all it's all the, the experience is is that of a spiritual one and, mm -hmm. and having food if we bring that intention and that awareness to where it came from so i think like just stating that in your purpose and your values like may allow people to have their own breakthroughs whether that's um you know a, a christian breakthrough or their own spiritual experience just by asking those questions and putting that intention for it i think yeah. it's creating space for possibility and yeah and growth and i think that's super cool and mm -hmm. I'm ready to come for brunch on Sunday or, or just come and fast, you know? Yeah. I love the, I love it. I love the name feast and fallow. I can see yeah. it. Yeah. I yeah. can see it. That's okay. We could use something like that here in sunny Steveston. That's right? true. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> franchise. You've already yeah. got your second franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Me up. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a pasture right here. <laughs> let's make sure, let's make sure it gets off the ground. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let's do yeah, it. That's good yeah. Times. Yeah. <laughs> so, so one thing that, I mean, I think others poke fun at vegans is like this idea of veganism being a religion. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that a vegan experience is also a spiritual experience. I think there's energy in the food and there's energy in the animals. And mm -hmm. um, I find it to be a spiritual experience. But I wanted to ask you, you know, bringing that faith-based background and, and that plant-based, those plant-based values, like, um, just the intersection of belief and faith with mm -hmm. with your food choices and your your spiritual choices. Yeah, I mean, it definitely allows for a greater level of internal integrity, mm -hmm. right? Um, we know, I think, I think most people would affirm that veganism, you know, definitely reduces harm mm -hmm. in the world. It's got a lighter touch to the world, you know it. It doesn't, it actually, <clears throat> I'm in the middle of writing an essay <laughs> for a Canadian vegan magazine, shout out to Nia and the team, um, nice. around how veganism might actually learn some lessons from fundamentalist religion, uh, not, uh, sort of uh, from religion and looking at the fundamentalist movements within religion and sort of saying like, 
oh, why do so many people jump ship and move away? And why do they find that such a difficult life? And when they finally find the freedom and move away from it, they're just like, oh, I can't believe I was part of a fundamentalist faith. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that's so crazy. You know, you know, what was I thinking? Um, And, but I think that that frequently happens when people um, realize that they've latched onto something that's that's worthy of latching onto. Like, Mm -hmm. Like, let's be, there are practices and ways to engage the world that you kind of like, you jump on them and you're like, oh, uh, I get this now. I get why this is so important. And y- you can forgive your zeal, right? So it's classic, whether vegan or religious, um, when you finally see, like your eyes are open and the scales are gone and you see all the things you're like, oh man, I just want everybody to see it and experience it. And you get this sort of like a zealous mm-hmm. um I just want everybody to get it. And, and Zach, you've been around veganism long enough to know that like that first, you know, just depending on how engaged they are with themselves and self-aware they are, how long it takes them to sort of like, oh, I, I've kind of taken on a vegan fundamentalism. <laughs> and, uh, 100%, uh, you know, I've, and I've we were all there. Head. We yeah. were all there, um, you know. So, <laughs> but what we're trying to actually do is have a loving, compassionate experience. So my essay is this idea that like at the at the very core of the vegan movement, and I think it's actually at the core of my religiosity as well, like in just terms of my faith in general, is compassion. Mm -hmm. How do I find a space that allows everybody to flourish? And so um, at the very core is compassion and close to that core is, you know, compassion towards humans and animals and all the rest of it. But frequently what we do both in religion and veganism is we erect these boundaries that help us define who's in and who's out. Mm We want to break because those we, down. we crave that clarity. Yes. Like, let's be honest. We want to know who's safe. Yeah. And if you jump over that barrier and you find yourself within the confines of my worldview, I'm like, oh, okay, you're safe. You get it. So we make people jump through these or jump over these walls, these boundaries that we've erected that actually make it difficult to connect through eye contact, mm-hmm. like through things that we've known for years as part of human relationship. Mm-hmm. And instead, what we want to know is, the us and them, who's in and who's out. And so we erect these boundaries in order to know who's in and who's out. And we can kind of forgive ourselves on an evolutionary level. Like frequently we've needed that level of safety, you know, because of tribalism and war and, and maybe the shadow side of humankind and the shadow side of these experiences. But what we realize is we live in these safer environs in the West, you know, frequently it's okay to actually say, you know, maybe the boundary that we erected is actually making it more difficult to have the human experience. Mm-hmm. And what I believe about most of these boundaries, actually, whether religious or vegan, <laughs> is that if we just lie them flat, so just picture, if you can, in your mind's eye, um, all of these walls that are the traditional walls that need to be scaled in order to be part of the insider group, and just lie those down and instead see them as the yellow brick road, see them as a pathway and see them as a window towards compassion and recognize that um, that you know what actually defines your level of 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 where you are in your journey is how far along down the pathway you are so melanie joy um, mm. you know sort of defines this as being as vegan as possible so if we erect a wall then it's either you're vegan or you're not mm-hmm. 
But what if we just laid it down and we said, okay, so, you know, your food choices, your clothing choices, your, you know, whatever these boundaries are, you know, and frankly, are any of us perfect vegans? Nope. <laughs> do, you want, do you want anybody to actually do an accounting yeah. for you? Or like, you know, we're not all always in alignment with all of our core values at all of the times. And so we, we lie these boundaries down and we say, hey, by the way, this is a pathway that I've journeyed. Now we invite them into our story. We invite mm -hmm. them into the story, whatever that story is. And we say, you know, here are the various ways that you can gaze upon compassion. And by the way, if you're way back here on the journey, it might be a little harder to see it clearly. Like we've all been there. Like, you know, you're, you're quite a ways away from like maybe like really pristine examples of, of compassion. But as you journey down the road, you're like, oh, so that's why Zach's been there on his journey. And for a long time, I just thought he was this judgmental prick. <laughs> yeah. But it's not. It's yeah, not. No one ever it's not. It's just that it's it's just that as you've traveled down the justice road and uncovered more and more of how this kind of unfolds, you know, you've peeled the layers of the onion back. You're like, oh well, actually, if I'm going to identify this way, and if compassion is my ultimate goal, like maybe I've actually got to continue to make changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the parallels between religion and veganism are oh they're immense it's like it's almost the same thing you're just worshiping at a different altar right the way that people carry it on i think one one thing that i was just kind of resonating as you were speaking to is like people who are further up the road we often look back at mm -hmm. uh people who are coming up and we want them so badly to be where we are to experience mm -hmm. what we're experiencing mm -hmm. that we all like you forget that you were back there that's right you forget how long it's taken in either religion or veganism to kind of get where you are. And so there's this sense of like urgency that you want people to be where you're at, but it's going to take time. And not to mention to that sometimes it's not until hindsight that you realize you took the left turn or a right turn it, and you thought that that tangent, you know, was like important. And then you're like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm kind of off course here a little bit and you have to course correct. And, yeah. And that only comes through living it and being in community and letting somebody kind of point out like, hey, you might be a little off course here. Like, yeah. What were your stated values? Have you thought about that? Like, oh yeah, maybe maybe that was a wrong turn. Yeah. But it can take a long time to kind of realize maybe that you've, you've done that or that you've expressed yourself in a way that ends up actually um, causing more pain yeah. than actually being uh, really life-giving. Yeah. Well it's, Step. well, it's impossible to be inclusive and compassionate when there's a wall between you and your neighbors. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I, I mean, you pointed that out so eloquently. Like, I remember my own journey, like when I was, I was vegetarian for a while and then I finally saw the light in quotation yeah. marks and, and went, um, you know, went vegan. And I remember being at, I've shared this story before, but I remember being at a family dinner and preaching to my sister. And, it's interesting uh, that you use the word preaching. See yes, that that connection yeah. to, to faith as well. There we right? go. There, well, I was, I was, uh, whew, maybe this isn't like the right, the right connection, but I was, I was, I was talking down to her. Mm -hmm. I was um, talking from a, a position where I thought I was right and mm -hmm. she was wrong, and I was um, projecting that my values were right and eating meat was bad. And my sister is someone that I I love so dearly. She's so special to me. And she started to cry and she like left the dinner table and I, uh, you know, I followed after her and she was like, now that you're vegan, I feel like you're not going to want to be my friend anymore. And that just like, it still makes me emotional. Like telling that story, it just hit home so hard that like this messaging can never be the way that I like mm -hmm. communicate these values. Because if I, 
bring my own sister to tears to the point that she doesn't think I'd want to be her friend. How could I communicate this to, to the, the masses or to, you know, community. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was such a great lesson that she offered me that the only way to, to share with anybody is with, with love and inclusion and compassion because, you know, I wasn't born vegan. I wasn't born, you know, everything is a journey. And like you were mentioning, you know, you might be here, you might be there. And if we want to share the experience, we can't have walls dividing us. We need mm-hmm. to like, you know, turn off the shades of black and white and, you know, live in that nuance more of acceptance and have conversation to see why do you think that way? And we might learn from from others and be able to grow together versus just dividing. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. And, yeah. you know, that allowed me to kind of reflect on my own my own journey and remember kind of some of my why. So these were lessons hard learned. Yes. I mean, I've I've been a prick. Of course. I've, like, I've, I've been down that road. And, in you know, there, there's another whole angle, like, you know, the whole weight loss angle and like getting even more meticulous about what you put in your body mm-hmm. because you simply have to. Like, mm-hmm. it's like the recovering alcoholic, you know, like I was a food addict and mm-hmm. I was a junk food vegan for a really long time, um, you know. <clears throat> and so then you kind of like you take another turn and then it's like even more holier than thou like oh you're not gonna eat that anymore either like <laughs> and it's like oh it's not about that like it's fine and there are many people that can safely have that just like a lot of people that aren't alcoholics can do and drink you know responsibly or whatever that is and looks like and celebrate and have the benefits of that but there are some of us who struggle with that mm-hmm. you know can't do that at the same level you know so yeah anyways that's another story for round two or something i don't know we'll see (laughs) it's all part of the story yeah it is it is yeah but it's a it's an interesting parallel to like thinking through the ways that our our passions um can light us up and we want we want people to to know and experience these things and yet in and of themselves like how how we desire to share can can be a barrier Mm-hmm. right how we want someone that we care the most about to see or experience or or be on board with us will actually be the very thing that can be a barrier or drive them away and i think it's so important for us to reflect on that in in all aspects of life like veganism <laughs> religion yes. all of it is like how are we showing up in the world that is more inviting than accusatory mm-hmm. right and and allows people to ref- self reflect mm-hmm. based on what they see our experience is like or or what we've shared you know this this is just like it's less certainty and it's more about the wonder of life or it's less about you know being this strict vegan and trying and and not eating all these things and saying hey what where's like one small way that i can become further down the road of Mm -hmm. you know incrementally going plant-based or whatever and then celebrate those things with people rather than you should be further along like you should be here you should be there Mm -hmm. yeah Mm-hmm. judgments and accusations never like you're never going to win anybody on board you're never going to argue someone into belief in a certain religion you're never going to argue someone into changing what's on their plate yeah and i simply don't think that everybody should go vegan mainly because 
I don't know that that's crazy, and the Planted Expo community will like be like, "What did Steve Markovich <laughs> say yeah, on yeah, a little more good uh, podcast?" There's your soundbite. <laughs> um, but like, here's the thing, right? So back to the conversation with First Nations and uh, the Indigenous people. I think their their lifestyle in in many of the First Nations that I've had a chance to connect with, you know, would be plant forward, you know. But there is this deep cultural embedded belief you know that animals lay down their life for our sustenance in sort of this rather religious sort of mystical expression um and so um i struggle to ask um centuries and millennia of profound belonging to the land and and having curated and worked through this expression to say well you know what uh you know all that smoked salmon you make you probably need to just move away from that like that part of your culture is wrong Mm. i don't know that i can go there right now Mm -hmm. i'm not sure Mm -hmm. i'm not sure how that could ever land in a way that doesn't feel like erasure Mm -hmm. like how do you you know and i and i and i like, you know, you've got to keep that, I've got to keep that in my mind, like, and draw a, a really profound distinction between mass, um, you know, the fisheries and the industrialized agricultural, mm-hmm. you know, abuse of the oceans versus, you know, tribal, First Nations, uh, people that belong to the land and have this like reciprocity with mm-hmm. the animal world and have this give and take with the land and we're able to live in some level of harmony, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that had like sort of built in this deep and profound respect that the animal, the only reason, in fact, the only reason you would ever actually catch the animal. It's not because the animal didn't know you were trying to catch it, but the, the animal realizes like, oh, you've got to eat. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I'm actually going to lay down my life for you. Mm-hmm. So whatever that looks like, and I don't know. I mean, we, we, we could, we could we, you know, probably as three white men in a room, we, you know, <laughs> probably don't know how to exactly, uh, you know, parse that all out and make sense of it. But I'm kind of at the belief now that what I'm really advocating for is like, we recognize that what is currently happening in our food systems is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. It's built on exploitation. And it is um, in that the way that the, our current appetites cannot be fed mm-hmm. in a just, compassionate way. Mm-hmm. And that needs to change. That all needs to be rebelled against. Like rebel against that system. Like I'm there. Like call <laughs> yeah. me a rebel in that sense. Like <laughs> the food system's got to change. Yeah. You know, our modern. But... What I think I don't know how that plays out in every respect. Well, mm-hmm. I think one thing that you're landing on there is is the food system, and I think that's like a colonial settler yeah. system mm-hmm. that created factory farming, factory mm-hmm. farming, and the current agricultural systems that have been created by, you know, the colonial settler are systemically wrong. Yes. So I think yes. that's what needs to change, and I think. You know, indigenous cultures uh, in Canada and around the world have had symbiotic relationships with, with earth, animal, um, all of that community, and that's not the problem. Like, yeah, that's not causing deforestation and causing climate change and and 
Um, you know, there's the issues are what we as colonial settlers have created on this land in, in the form of modern agriculture and factory mm-hmm. farming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and our desire for cheap and convenient. Yeah. Yes. It goes back to the, the point of the conversation earlier where we talked about if we if we had had a different posture mm-hmm. in those initial encounters mm-hmm. and had a posture of learning rather than, you know, minimizing and making projections on these people and just said, like, what can we learn about this land and your culture yeah, it teach would, us. It would look so different yeah. because, like you had mentioned, it's it's predominantly a plant forward kind of. A lot of the cultures in, in this world were right. Yeah, of are. course, because because meat is not it's, yeah, it's not perishable. Yeah, it's yeah. not a commodity that you get all mm-hmm. the time, right? Yeah. That is a modern convenience, perhaps as Darren Ian would say, a fatal convenience, yeah. right, for all of us and our planet, and it's just not the way it was. Mm-hmm. And the reverence that is held in those traditions is very different than going to the grocery store or the butcher shop and and picking out your choice meats like it's just they're two very very different or situations e- even in sapiens like the hunter and gatherer mm-hmm. like we kind of project this like primal hunter yeah. that was like eating a carnivore diet all the time the hunter yeah. and gatherer was eating mostly like fruits and berries Correct. and you know, root vegetables and herbs and like, you know, the the gathering was like the predominant part of the lifestyle and the hunting was like, you know, far in far in, in between like the, the norm the normal part of the hunter and gatherer diet. So mm-hmm. um I think like like how you're you Dean were like relearning um, you know, the, the text, um, you know, the religious text that you were studying, I think if we relearn the, our history of hunting and gathering, it might change some of the perspectives that some of these carnivore, these primal diets are having, because the truth is that it was mostly berries and, you know, nuts and seeds and herbs and things that they yeah. could gather along the way. Yeah. 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 Totes. Totes. <laughs> Totes. Well, yeah. well, to kind of wrap around, you know, I got a few more questions and then we can kind of get into some rapid random fire, sure. however we want to call it. Oh, yeah. Um, the random. Oops. You know, our, <laughs> our origins as friends is through Planted Expo and I know you've yeah. got big ambitious plans yeah. um, and I'm, I'm thankful for those plans because they're creating community in such a great, great way that we've had the the privilege of being a part of mm-hmm. um so what's next for for planted expo because i know this that wasn't a one-stop shop yeah i mean again uh, i'm gonna sound like a bit of a broken record but i like the analog to our hyper digital world right? yeah um you know it's great it's great to have access to all of the things that the online world makes possible but there's just something profound when you pull together some of the most innovative, small and medium-sized businesses under one roof to celebrate these positive movements within the food system, um, which we just spoke about, within the business world, you know, the level of um, win-win and like we're all in this together kind of mentality, which is so positive, and to create um that buzz and that synergy and that celebration that only comes through that analog human person to person experience. And so the best of what the planted expo is, is, you know, allowing somebody who has that passion, you know, that has created a product and now wants to allow the average Canadian, as it turns out for us to 
be able to see themselves as a consumer of that product and say, well, how would my life change if I consume this product? And, and what does this mean? And um, and so we have this like sampling frenzy <laughs> at our mm-hmm. event, you know, where these companies get instant feedback. They get to have a conversation about the thing that they've poured their blood, sweat and tears into and then learn how to continue to serve, you know, life-giving food to people. Um, and so what the Planted Expo is, is a celebration of this plant-forward movement. It's the belief that, that this is generative, that it allows for business and it allows for people and products to come together and to connect, hmm. to connect. And so what we want to do is uh, make uh, uh, veganism and the plant-forward movement as accessible um, and take as much as you can kind of mentality for the average Canadian who may or may not ever go fully vegan or plant-based, but has recognized that to whatever degree they're capable incorporating as many of these lifestyle choices into their day-to-day rhythms is actually going to make life together better, mm-hmm. right? There's and, just going to be less suffering in the world and we may actually be able to mitigate you know, the climate crisis. Yes. And, um, Fingers crossed. You know, uh, but we, we recognize as a team over um, at Planted that, you know, it's not an all or nothing. It's just like as much as possible. And we think that the best way to do that is to put these amazing small businesses and Zach you stand here as a you know as an OG in the Vancouver industry you know as putting together this amazing company that has done a lot of the same things with the juice truck and I heard the episode with Shira the other day you know and with the acorn and the arbor has done and all the rest of it like it's pretty amazing to think that there are people that are putting everything on the line to make this journey a better, easier, more sustainable choice, you know, and not having to make it, you know, super challenging to incorporate these things. So that's what we want. We want to feature the best voices. um, And that's part of why Ritual was here, you know, like for us, it's really important that uh, the plant-based movement is represented by these generative and generous voices. Mm -hmm. That's really important because for better or for worse, um, veganism is still fighting a bit of an uphill battle um, because because we haven't always had the most generous posture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're learning. All of us are learning. And uh, so, yeah, we've got an expo coming up in Toronto in 2022 um, and more in Vancouver and uh, lots of other conversations with groups and cities and people that are saying like, oh, how do we do this? And uh, we want to we want to make that that possible um but we also want to be like we also want to capture the stories from these businesses and uh voices uh, both attendees as well as the experts that come in and be able to share those stories because stories change us Mm -hmm. yeah you know as much as we might like a particular you know vegan pierogi or vegan cheese or you know uh, and soon there's going to be lots of great options and you won't have to, you know, just be like, oh, well, there's actually only one really passable option. <laughs> you know, like if you're going to eat it, like, this is the only one. Um, you know, the truth is there's going to be lots of, for example, cheeses or yogurts or whatever that, you know, or ice creams or whatever you're looking for that are going to be particularly good. And ultimately what you'll, you'll end up identifying with is the story, mm-hmm. the story of the person that's there. And we need lots of stories. We need lots of stories because there's 
we need we need a multitude of on ramps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we need as many on ramps as we can because that's what we're trying to do, and and that's what we want to be able to to do is just champion these amazing stories and these amazing people that um, are either choosing to go plant based or have put a product or service into the world that makes that transition amazing. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're up to. Um, we're super jazzed about it, like stoked. Met so many um, stellar people. Um, and there's lots of little side conversations happening about how to do that. And so in addition to like the big major expos every year in kind of like some of the larger Canadian, like right now it's just Toronto and Vancouver, but there are conversations like we've been approached about like Ottawa and Montreal and some of these other things. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but we also want to do micro events. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, like, cool. How do you tell a more nuanced story? So this is like the big story. This is the like major on ramp for everybody. But then like, you know, some of us want to nerd out, you know, like we've been on the journey for a while. And we're like, hey, this is great. Like we need the expos, you know, for, for just like everybody. And it's a great like reconvener. But, you know, like you've been part of the plant-based world for a while. I've been part of the plant-based world yeah. for a while. And sometimes we just want to like nerd out on adaptogenic mushrooms. Absolutely. Like, yeah, let's go. You're like, you know, that's what we, <laughs> that's what we want to think about and yeah. talk about at a certain level of depth that may not be accessible to the wider audience. Mm -hmm. you know? sure. And so... Um, yeah, some micro events too, I think in the future is going to be a part of what we do, but like we're an events company. We're yeah. about curating an experience and we'll let the small businesses create the amazing products and services mm. that get featured. So I love it. I'm yeah. so excited for, for more. Yeah. Uh, that was such an, especially, you know, having COVID kind of put a halt to so much community in a larger mm -hmm. sense it was such a breath of fresh air in so many ways to be a part of that experience and yeah we're grateful for everybody oh, that was willing to make it a safe experience that wasn't easy oh, no. you know Believe and in that. a perfect world you know we wouldn't have to be living through pandemics but yeah that is the yep. world we live in and so finding a way to do community safely was important and uh we're grateful for everybody that participated both businesses as well as those that came and uh tried and bought all the products you oh, know, the man. businesses were Oof. thrilled and we were happy it was just like it was a happy-go-lucky yeah. weekend in some respects so it was good it yeah. was good I, I came home with uh you know a bag full of goodies from yeah. from all the faves i still actually think i have some some uh, ribs from kula kitchen that there i you go maybe yes. the, maybe that's Asha, dinner tonight yeah she was our mc I wasn't she, she amazing yes, she so good so much fun. and have you nailed seen it. her like doordash commercials oh, oh. fred van fleet ready oh, i know oh, i texted her amazing i'm like i am so jealous i know so my cool. kids are crazy like i bought my son a fred van fleet jersey last christmas He's, like yeah. they're crazy for the raptors and i was like that's uh -huh. so cool i'm like hey remember her she was on our stage look at her yeah yeah so good but no it was awesome man. Yeah. the extrovert in me like was just beaming yeah i know walking around like so many people to talk to and see and oh yeah you were beaming oh, <laughs> i could see you from like it was good a building well, building distance away i'm like deep. zach that, there's john lewis let's go say what's up he's like are you sure i'm like come on yeah I'm like what are you waiting for yeah yeah <laughs> so good and they're cool they're cool people oh, like, yeah. just it was awesome yeah yeah. yeah. Okay, no, I've got one more lofty question and then maybe we can random rapid do a little random lightning rapids. round. All right. As as a man of faith, both mm. in food and in um spiritual conviction, what do you believe the future of faith looks like? <clears throat> Aspirationally. Um, you know, if I'm going to remain a part of it, it better be open. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and it better be attentive mm -hmm. and it better be nonviolent. Um, you know, cause those are my core values now. And if I can't engage these movements, um, from that posture, then I'm not sure I want to align myself with them. So yeah, I, I think the movements are in that direction and I definitely catch that hopefulness around that. I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of conversations move in that direction, even in the midst of like increasing online rhetoric and polarization and the demonization of the other and the people that don't see things the way we do. That is also a shadow side of our human experience. Um, and certainly one that catches a lot of headlines, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm sitting here in a room, you know, and we share a lot in common, but we don't share everything in common, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, we don't necessarily see any of these things we've talked about today from exactly the same perspective. But I think what we're trying to demonstrate here and certainly what my posture has been in this conversation, and I hope, you know, people will hold me accountable. I hope, you know, being on record to say like, that's the kind of experience that I want, um, that that's, that's ultimately what we'll be able to do is, is create those places where, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, these really important things, like let's not kid ourselves, spirituality and, um, and how we eat mm -hmm. or in how we consume, let's call that like the consumer movement, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, let's be clear. Veganism is more than just what we eat. It's what we wear. It's, mm -hmm. you know, the services and the things, you know, like it, it becomes a worldview, right? Mm -hmm. Like let's, let's call it what it is. It's a worldview. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we want that to be something that, you know, is a safe thing to, to jump into, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so that's what I want to be able to create. I want to be able to create those safe places for people to be able to explore at their own pace and in their own way and bring themselves to that and embody that fully. Cause that's certainly what I've been trying to do. And it's a little scary sometimes mm -hmm. because let's, let's like, we crave belonging. Mm -hmm. And when we color ourselves outside the lines of belonging for whatever group we're a part of, that's scary. Cause like, what if I lose my peeps? But Jesus, I think did that. <laughs> and he's a pretty important figure in my life. Um, and I see, not that I want to equate Jesus and rich role, but like, Hey, listen, that's a connection for us. Like yeah. I see him putting himself out on the line. Like, you know, there's not this like one size fits all guest on his cast. You know, and so as a, as a representative, if you will, of the plant-based movement and the kinds of conversations that we want, and I think you guys are modeling that too. So kudos to you and the and the pod. Um, not that you guys are a vegan pod, but I know that like I know the question's coming. So you know, like that's what you're trying to do. You know, you're trying to move this in the right direction. So yeah, this is great, man. I'm super pumped to have been here. Thanks, Dion. So uh, good. All right, so let's good. do a little lightning round and see where we go. <laughs> yes. You watching anything on Netflix right now? Uh, HBO <clears throat> on Netflix. Uh, yeah, watching, Ooh. watching, rewatching Parks and Rec with my my nice. family. <laughs> nice. My wife's like a, a huge Leslie Nope fan, so uh, I don't know if you guys are Parks and Rec guys uh, or not, but uh, <clears throat> I watch a lot of documentaries. Yeah, yeah. Shout out some docs that have been impactful. Yeah. I mean, there's the classics, right? Like yeah. particularly from the plant-based perspective that I think are 
still relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes a documentary quickly loses its relevance, but I, I don't think that's true of, you know, um, Want the Health and Conspiracy and Game Changers and some of these um, really important, at least uh, plant-based ones. Uh, I really um, have been drawn to these kind of more uh, uh, voices that are kind of uh, helping us paint pictures, like real life pictures. So I'm, I'm drawn to like autobiographical and I, you know, anything that tries to paint a real picture of a famous person, mm-hmm. you know, like not back in the day when we, when we do something and it was just like all roses and like they were, you know, but like real life heroes. And you're just like, oh, that I didn't realize that that was a part of that person's life. So there's a lot of those out mm. there. And I, I don't know that I'm ready to call out one of them, but there's like, I think people are making more honest appraisals mm-hmm. of people, even fans. For sure. doing that um so i think that's kind of neat to watch i just saw there's a kobe bryant documentary coming out and Ooh, i'm so, on netflix i'm so excited to see that i know that's gonna be good as yeah. a super fan of the mamba the mamba yeah Isn't my it? boys have uh lots of kobe paraphernalia yeah uh, yeah they're, they're big basketball boys so yeah, he's, he's up there with michael jordan for me because yeah. that was like michael jordan was kind of like my early memories of memories basketball. of basketball and then kobe was like he was on, a, all on the of, ascendant. All of the memories. <laughs> yeah, you know, like he, so. was, he was becoming the GOAT at the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember when I, I got my first pair of Kobe shoes, like Kobe. grade nine or 10, maybe. Mm. Ooh. I think I grew up every time I made a basket, I'd be like, Kobe. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a legend. He's a legend. Oh, man. That's good times. I'm a little older than you guys. So I, I remember Michael. I had a Michael Jordan jersey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the true goat it's in true. my mind. Yeah. All right. Do you know what you got? You got the Waifs shirt on. Yeah. 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 Rocking that. Yeah. What's, uh, what's a favorite album or like, you know, we all just, uh, it's December here. So we're getting our like Spotify. This is what you listen to the most. What's lighting you up on your playlist these days? Oh man. I just put on like these random Spotify playlists uh, and generally the word indies involved. Um, so, like, I've just been listening to the Indie Christmas playlist. Oh, there you go. A lot <laughs> nice. of Sufjan Stevens. Uh, yeah, Sufjan. Yeah, yeah. Having some of that uh, experience for sure. Um, I really, really enjoyed uh, Adele's new album. Ooh, yeah. Like, yeah. it actually, I know that a lot of like serious were three. like, Oof, that, that were just kind of like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure, you know. But I really liked it. I think it's good. I, I think I'm on my third listen through now. So, okay. that's like very recent. So, yeah. on the. On the playlists. Um, do you know the song about her daughter? You remember that one? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Having a daughter. Oh, man. That was a good one. I'll put it in the show notes, see if we can find that song. It's song number three. That's all song I know. Song number three. three. Track three, yeah. yeah. Um, I loved this album by this uh, indie Christian artist named Chris Renzema. That, you know, he's a small time. I don't know. Nobody's ever heard of him. But just the phenomenal voice um and there's this particular song that really connects with me and my spirituality around food etc called springtime um in the seasons of life and uh uses the metaphor of soil Mm. and being able to grow in soil and so that was just like uh, a jam that was on repeat quite a bit in my home um so that's a good one sweet yeah. But I'm like, a, I'm a, I'm a kid of the nineties. Like I still go back yeah. to all my nineties albums all the time. <laughs> lots of Pearl Jam, lots of Nirvana, lots of Dave era. Matthews. Like oh, yeah. uh, a lot of the, the goodies. It's nothing like Dave Matthews. Oh man. I've, I've seen him live 12 times. Wow. Oh, you're <laughs> like one of ma- those. Ma- massive, massive, okay. massive okay. B&B fan right That's here. cool. 
All right, a couple of our regular questions that you uh, mm-hmm. might have heard in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, as a book nerd, uh, podcast nerd, just kind of content nerd, is there is there a book that you've, I mean, maybe other than the Bible, because that might be a, or maybe that is your answer, um, a book that you've gifted most in your life or that you've recommended to many people? Um, so many, uh, I felt like I just minimized but, the g- Bible g- and I yeah, need to no, apologize okay. to God. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, nah. you know, anything by Wendell Berry. Oh yeah. So Wendell that's Berry a big one for legit. me. Um, just a, again, a profound thinker on the interplay between faith and land. He's cool. amazing. So th- I, I don't know that I could single out any one particular essay or book. Um, but just, you know, Google Wendell Berry. Yeah. And if you're, you're, looking for like a spiritual, mostly Christian perspective on um, our interaction with the land. I I just kind of basically a go-to voice. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. I love the the art of commonplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Collection. These are tons of essays. Yeah, there's lots of of kind of shorter pieces that have been put in these um, compendiums, if you will. Yeah. Very accessible. (laughs) He writes, he writes poetically and just so beautiful. Yeah. I'm really drawn to nonfiction writers that have the capacity to think deeply enough about their topic that it sounds poetic, but they're mm-hmm. not writing poetry. Mm-hmm. Like it's just mm-hmm. this like, I love that, you know, the, there's the sort of dry academic and, you know, listen, we need that too. You know, just like the really statistical research driven kind of language. And I get that. I see that like, but anybody that can capture my attention and yet be writing nonfiction and mm-hmm. drawing my attention to importance in things and like insights, you know, and it looks like they cared and they crafted their sentence the way a poet would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like super jazzed about Sign that. Have you ever read any Peter Matheson? He does that for me. He's kind of like mm-hmm. this like science adventure writer mm-hmm. that like, like he'd travel to Nepal on like, uh, like research science trips, but he'd like mm-hmm. discover the spiritual on the way. And like his background would be that of like, you know, taking field notes in a scientific way, but he'd have these like spiritual human experiences. Mm-hmm. And yeah, his books are really cool. Mm. Bra- uh, braiding Sweetgrass. Oh, oh yes. yes. Like that's the yes. kind, like obvious academic, yes. you know, deeply rooted in her field of study yes. and an expert. And yet it's like this amazing storytelling. She has this one uh, section in the book where she talks about eating strawberries. Mm. And like not being able to wait for them to ripen. These are like uh, um, wild strawberries, you know, the little itty bitty ones, you know, and you have to kind of like turn up the leaf to see, you know, is it is it red or is it white or is it pink? And like, how red does it need to be before I eat it, you know? Um, and she just, so many metaphors for um, respecting um, the world that we live in and uh, kind of peeling back the curtain and seeing that it's actually deeply intertwined with our spirituality um, as well as how we just engage the world around us. So yeah, that was a really, really, really great book. And yeah. I, I think a perfect example of what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, 100%. Yeah. You know, written by an academic, but written in a way that I'm just like, ah, oh, storytelling. Yeah. Like I'm all for yeah. this. I actually used, used some of that book with my students earlier this year mm. in, in our science class. Yeah, if you're yeah. looking at traditional indigenous wisdom, yeah, yeah. it was awesome. Use an excerpt of that. And yeah. Good times. Yeah. Okay, I got one more little one and then maybe... Dina can this, land it yeah. with, uh, with our go-to. The secret closing secret, secret question. Yeah. That's a secret for me, but I get it. 
Okay, so not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, Planted Expo was so great in so many ways. There are so many amazing ven- f- uh, vendors, um, and I liked all of them. Um, if you were to pick a few of your favorite children of the Plant-Based Expo, who are a couple of businesses that you'd like to give shout-outs to? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the up-and-comers that has learned from those people that have gone before it, like the OGs in the cheese world, um, you know, shout out to Blue Heron, who's kind of been, basically put good artisanal mm-hmm. plant-based cheese making on the map. 100%. Uh, but I think like Um Yum. Yes. Wow. Very yummy. You know, just taking that cultured, like, I just I don't know. I, I can't say enough good words about what they're doing. Um, you know, that was just really, really great. I gave uh, them a 10. I'll, I'll share it. I was at your, mm-hmm. like, uh, judges panel, and I gave Um Yum, like, a 10 out of 10. It was, yeah. It was good. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'll take... I love... Um, I'm all for the food science. Yeah. Like, that's cool. And there's, like, quite a few companies I could probably shout out from the food science perspective. But I'm also really moved by people that can take a real ingredient that you know grows in the land and make it a uh, make it a food product that is standing as a faux product, and yet, like I want to consume it because I know what it is. Like I read the ingredient, so like uh, Save the Seas, mm, um, the carrot, you locks. know, carrot locks. Yeah, it's just a, a classic example of that because. You know, I think I think the the food science world is going to be able to create some really amazing, like, um, you know, faux products, if you will. But to just take a carrot and Dress have my up. experience yeah. feel like I'm eating a carrot lox or a salmon lox bagel, like, yeah, that's yeah, crazy. It's so awesome. I love that. So, yeah, you know, my. Um, I'm frequently drawn towards those kinds of companies. Again, a a lot of that is just my own personal story around trying to eat as much whole food plant-based as I can. Um, So that's good. Those would be a couple of the ones that are really standing out to me. There there were so many. Oh, there were were so many standouts. And I love you all. (laughs) Take a look at the website. They're still still up there. You guys are there. It's great. It's amazing. And get their products. My goodness. All right, dinner. Bring us home. All right, Pastor Dean. Mm -hmm. So you know. Yeah, I know. You know this podcast is called A Little More Good. So we want to do create, be, see in the world, but give us from your perspective in the world. What does what does a little more good mean to you? Yeah. I've thought about this a lot and I knew the question was coming and I was like, oh man, I just want to be profound and erudite and cogent and like really drop some like, you know, and I was like but that's kind of who I am. Like, I'm always trying to do that at some level. So I was like, I'm just going to own it and say like, you know, I've thought about this question because I knew I was coming on to the pod and I was like, oh, you know, this is really great. So for me, um, and I guess I'm just answering truthfully, like I'm always looking for the good. I see good. I think there is good to be sought out in this world. And so, you know, what does it mean to create or to be or to, foster a little more good is to open our eyes to that thing that we call good Mm. some people call it god some people call it justice um some people call it laughter but those things that are good to open our eyes to them and then to create space within myself first and foremost because i am that first experiencer of the good and say like does this feed my soul 
does this make me uh, more open? And if it does, then to create that same, like to just basically turn around and say, oh yeah, that, that was good. Mm -hmm. How do I help others also take in a little more good? I love that. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was so good. Well, thank you, Stephen. I'm grateful to have you in our life. You know, Dean and I have spoken of this often, how we're, we're grateful that, you know, you you came into our life and you have brought a lot of more good into our mm -hmm. lives and many others in, in many ways. So I think you are, are fostering that and you're creating that. And you're you're a pilot for for creating community in so many ways. So mm. thank you for the space that you hold and the space that you create and for taking time to hang out with us today. Yeah, guys, thank you for a good conversation. So important, so meaningful, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Yeah. Good. Glad. Glad to have you with us. All right. Well, hopefully you uh, you enjoyed that one. That was a fun conversation for us, not just because it's with our bud Stephen, but uh, just the content kind of fired. Well, I'm always up for a spiritual conversation. I love when I find someone, you know, from my ilk that's kind of, uh, sometimes I can feel like a black sheep, yeah. an outsider. Uh, and I feel like at home with Stephen, like there's a lot mm. of... That's a good feeling. Anytime you feel at home with somebody, you know, that's... Uh... Yeah. There's something there that should be explored. Yeah. No, and he's just, uh, he's so thoughtful, like yes. in, in his in his responses and the way he lives and carries himself. And it just, it just comes through. So, kind yeah. Of, kind of felt like that combo was like plant-based soup, soup for the soul. Hey. Remember those books? Like yes. chicken soup for the teenage soul or whatever? Yes. I read a few of those in my time. Definitely. But they're like the feel-good uh, stories of uh, 1996 or whatever. It's like when you finished reading all the Goosebumps, you like graduated. <laughs> R.L. Stein, remember that? Goosebumps were so good. And then you're so like also reading Chicken Soup for the Soul. Did you read, like, what were those Choose Your Own Adventure ones? What were those? Oh, yeah, shoot. Those, those were good, too. I do remember those. Anyway. Brady Bunch. We digress. Read no. every day, though. Read no. every day. Read every day, Ryan. Ryan Holiday. Yeah, bringing it back. But that was a great. That was a great convo. We, as I said, just deeply appreciative to Stephen for his time and joining us and opening up with his his own story and sharing as he did, you know, about some of his successes and even struggles uh, in in life, in church life, and yeah, all factors. Yeah. Well, if you enjoyed that one, be sure to like, subscribe, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Share it with a friend, a neighbor, uh, someone that uh, could use a little plant-based soup soup for the soul. Yeah. Uh, pass it on. Uh, you know, as always, we are so grateful for all of you for listening. You guys, uh, you guys are basically our home, you know. You guys make us, uh, make this all worthwhile for us. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you for committing your time and energy to being a part of the little more good podcast we're, we're super grateful for mm -hmm. all of you guys mm -hmm. yeah well on that note of gratitude be well be good and we'll chat with you soon peace, peace.